Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wildbo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and I have some bad news, Scott. Uh, oh no, what, what is it? Chris is Lab Rat. We, we, we knew that already. We talked about it for like two hours, like two weeks ago. Oh, I, I forgot. Uh, did you, are, are you okay? I mean, yeah, it was like literally last year. Well, good. This went well, I think. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, this is the podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of mutating dogs that are different from the other mutating dogs, hairy-armed assassins, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we begin Arc 11, Blinding. We'll be covering the first three chapters of Blinding this week, 11.1, 11.2, and 11.3. We had originally planned on covering a fourth chapter, Matt, 11.a, the side piece interlude, but uh, we saw how long our script was getting, and we decided that that's probably not a good idea. So we're going to limit it to three chapters this week, cover an additional three next week, and then and then be fully caught up and back to normal. Yeah, I think ultimately everyone will be happy that we did it this way because it gives us the space to talk about these three chapters at a, at a leisurely pace, not try to cram four into one episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cramming four chapters into one episode what kind of crazy person would do that yeah, it's it's not possible yeah it's ridiculous yeah uh, anyway so uh this week victoria and company deal with some mutated dogs and people as they find it increasingly more difficult to stop villains from doing villainy things then victoria breaks the lab rat news to her team which goes over about as well as you could expect and finally chicken little and kenzie friendship finally succeeds in making tattletale and victoria work together after you know, their their house almost gets burned down. Matt, what did you think of these three chapters? Uh, these are great. These are all great in different ways. Um, just kind of a, a mixture of like, a, a, we had a very like delightful chapter. We had a very intense emotional chapter that had been built up to for a long time where we really got to explore our characters. Um, just... I, I, I once again, I'm glad that we that we get to kind of like dive into all three of these in detail um, because all three of them, I, I couldn't keep myself actually from like talking, at, at, you know, at, at some depth about each of them. You know, yeah, there, there was there wasn't one of these there wasn't like I was trying to be to have some brevity in my in my summaries this week. So I was like, ah, oh, we got a lot to go through. I'll try to be brief. It was <laughs> like, no, didn't work. There was too much that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I think, you know, th that's, I think, why we ended up making the decision to to limit it at three this week, because you're absolutely right that when I was going through and reading these four chapters over the break, I was like, in my head, I was like, okay, we got to focus a lot of time on the second chapter for obvious reasons. We got to focus a lot of time on the interlude because it's an interlude. And I felt like what was going to happen in my mind was that the first chapter and the third chapter were going to get like the, the sped up version. And then as we were going through and reading them again and kind of seeing the themes of the chapter and the early themes of the arc coalesce, I realized, no, there's a lot of important stuff in this that needs to, to be covered. And, and that's kind of where we ended up where we are right now. Yep. Um, all right. So let's do some quick announcements. Congratulations to the winners of the fifth quarterly fan art contest. J Maniac and FIP Industries. Um, 
so it was a tie. Well, no, uh, it, was, is, it wasn't a tie. It wasn't a tie. Oh, no, sorry. No, it was. No. It was tied up was until almost, like the very end. It was almost a tie. J Maniac won, and Fip Industries came in a very, very close second. Okay, well that that's awesome. Um, uh, so yeah, you can check out the winning artwork and all the other entries by heading over to doofmedia.com. Um, some really great stuff as usual. Yeah. Uh, and there'll be a link in the show notes uh, for this episode leading to those, uh, those artworks. Yeah. As always thrilled with all of your artwork. I, we have so much fun doing this and, um, the, the entries were really close. I think this was the closest vote we've had so far. Um, we usually have like, there's a clear favorite, um, and everyone else gets some votes, but one like dominates. That wasn't the case this, this time it was all, it was very close down the stretch. And I think that's a testament to the, the amount of like skill that was done in all this work. It's really great. Thanks guys. Yeah. Um, we also got a lot of really great feedback uh, from our requests for feedback last episode. And uh, we're probably going to be uh, acting on a lot of it actually. So yeah, um, yeah we really appreciate yeah. you guys taking the time. I mean, they, it's, we got emails, we got um, responses in the Reddit, we got responses in our discord. We got some very constructive feedback. You know, there was some people letting us know the parts that they specifically liked and some people letting us know the parts that they didn't like and what they wanted us to focus on more. And, and I don't think Matt, we're going to do like a complete retooling of the show based on everyone's feedback, but there are changes we want to make based on some of the stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that leads nicely into the fact that, uh, we're going to be skipping over the community spotlight, uh, part of the show where we, where we referenced the Reddit thread this week. Uh, part of that is because this script was already like longer than it should be before <laughs> we even got around to collating the questions. The other part is just that, a lot of our feedback was directed at like the the way we handle uh, the discussion questions, the length of it, the placement of it within the show, and and I'm just, I feel like we need to get our heads around that a little bit better before we you know move on. So get us get that today. Yeah, I, I I definitely think that that is out of everything we got, that was the least enjoyed portion of the show. Um, yeah. So we'll have to. Well, we're we're we've got things percolating in the background we're trying to come up with something different to do uh, different ways to do this so yeah well it, yeah. it it'll be back in some form but uh we've got plenty to talk about this week yeah we'll figure it out so let's get right on into it with chapter 11.1 the opening of arc 11 and we're plunged in media res into a big clusterfuck of a brawl breakthrough is defending a local patrol block jail against the onslaught of a hulked out berserk group of people and dogs uh, as Victoria beats up a giant monster dog, she barks orders at the patrol normies, telling them to move all their prisoners into one cell so they can sequester themselves in the other one. Did you say barks orders on purpose? Was that was that you gonna, trying to be clever? I, I, don't, even, I don't even know, but I'm going to say yes. <laughs> all right. Um, so let's talk about in media res a bit, because I, I'm a big fan of this concept in general, right? Like I, I, I don't know if I've ever specifically stated this on this show, but I like in media res as a writing technique. Um, I think when it's done really well, it basically guarantees that I'm going to be hooked into what's going on because first of all, you start right in the middle of the action and then, uh, there's just enough like mystery and discovery going on that you're kind of trying to, to solve what is happening. Where are we? When are we? Um, and so I really like it as a technique when used well. And uh, I think I think here at the start of this arc is a, a good example of, of where it is used well. And I think that's because part of the reason is because I think it's it's playing off our expectations a little bit. Um, when we last left Victoria, she had just found out the truth of Chris. And then we have the Chris interlude where we get filled in on that truth. Um, 
And then suddenly we're a fight in a fight against monsters. We're fighting against people and dogs that have been transformed into monsters. And there's this beat. I think you say to yourself as you're reading this, are they, are they fighting Chris? <laughs> it's like, it's, 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 did, did we jump forward to some moment where like, and, and that, that quickly gets like, uh, cleared up and, and no it's not but i think there's there's a beat there where you you kind of think that and i think the writing knows that you're probably gonna jump to that conclusion at least right off um before it moves into kind of explaining what's going on and i think that makes this work very well yeah i think at, at the very least the the idea that the people they're fighting are using formulas to create mutations of right. people against, against their will is very like at least supposed to remind you of Chris. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, and the, the text really plays off the horror of it, right? Because we, we, when these people are described to us, we, the text says their eyes were bloodshot and their th- throats produced noises that were like, they were trying to scream while being strangled. Like th- this is very like visceral type of shocking horror. Um, and coming off of what we just learned about Chris, this, this makes you uncomfortable. And, um, which, which I think is probably what Victoria is going through. She has just been researching this stuff. We learn later. She knows the truth of Chris. She knows what he can do and what he has done. And now she's fighting people that have done the same thing. And that's like putting her a lot of this chapter. She feels, um, kind of off kilter a little bit. And we learn later that part of that is because she's working up to having to reveal this information to her team, but she's kind of like off her game a little bit throughout a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- you know, the other thing I'll mention about the in media res is just like, this is a perfect example of it because like you're, you're just a little bit confused, but in a way that makes you interested, you know, it's, it's not, not too confused, uh, but also you're not exactly picking up right where you left off. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a, t- it's a tightrope to walk, right? Like, cause yeah. there, there have been times when I felt that the story has like fallen too far on one side where I'm just confused. Um, but yeah. I think in here it, it, it skirts that line, you know? Yeah, I agree. And you know, you're, you're putting together this fairly complicated, uh, <laughs> physical environment of like what, what's actually happening here. And I think it all comes together really well. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, Victoria uses the wretch to wrestle the dog down the hall and toward the cells, reflecting on the fact that she hasn't really been in a situation where she could use the wretch all out in cor- in close quarters like she is right now before. Yeah. And it's this, this moment of reflection as she has the wretch like inside the mouth of like her arm is inside the mouth of the dog, but obviously the mouth of the dog, the jaws are not clamped around her arm because they're clamped around the wretch. And you called this a brawl before. And I think you're absolutely right. That's what this is. Like she's got her legs around its neck and like riding it, almost like forcing it into the cell. And it's very, very tactile. Um, I think the really interesting thing to me about this is that she's not freaked out by the wretch at all. She isn't concerned that the the squatties are going to see it, um, that they're going to like like see the weirdness of the dog's mouth not being completely enclosed around it and know that something's up with her. Um, that she, she doesn't seem concerned about any of that. It's more just like, I don't have a lot of experience in this cause I've, I've not gotten to use it a lot. She's, it's very just kind of reserved, like just, uh, like, like I'm trying to think of the word. She just like, it's all strategy based. It's not like she doesn't get introspective and, and go down her hole about it. Right. Yeah. She's not, she's not like happy about it. She's not like, Oh, this is cool. I finally get to use the wretch all out against an opponent, which, you know, a, a person who doesn't have her, her traumatic background with that power might feel. Yeah. But ne- neither is she like flinching away from it in this moment. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so the squaddies hesitate before bringing Etna and Crested out of one of the cells to make room for the dog. Uh, and therefore we learn that those two capes are here. Tristan joins her in pushing uh, and Sveta thwips by to help with pulling the dog into the cell uh, using her new hermit crab arm. <laughs> yeah, this is a cool teen moment. I think it, it's one of those moments where because we started in media res, we have a question in the back of our head that where's the rest of the team? And then suddenly they arrive in a in a heroic type fashion to help her finish this particular part of the fight. Um, I, I I love Sveta's arm. And, and we're going to talk about this more in the next chapter as we kind of get into some of what's going on with Sveta. But I really like that the text like makes it clear that it gives her additional power, but it, it makes her off balance. She's not as balanced. And I think that's like that off balance nature of her is very fitting with what's probably going on with her right now. Like we know that she's gone through this difficult thing and she's she's kind of being very guarded about it. But I think the physical description of her off balance tracking to how she's doing mentally right now seems like it would be very fitting. So I just, I just like that image of her kind of maybe a little bit stronger, but not as coordinated. Yeah. That that's fantastic. That that's uh like, like growing pains kind of growing unevenly. Maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I, I like that. Uh, so we, we see that Tristan is bleeding after his exertions and uh, basically we we get the impression he's opened up his recent gunshot wound and he immediately uh switches switches out with uh, Byron. Yeah, he like reaches inside his metal like his costume and pulls out like a shit ton of blood and he's yeah. like, "Oh, drag." And then switches out. Yeah. I mean, I, we haven't talked about this a lot, but one of the things I did appreciate and Worm and do appreciate in this story as well is that injuries don't heal right, right away right like like our our, our character's injuries are still with them and we've seen this with victoria's gunshot wound in the story which has it's been five arcs since she got shot and it still pains her everyone like it's still not fully healed um it, it's still part of her recovery process is healing from that gunshot wound and i like that both physical and mental damage to a person doesn't just go away when they move on to the next bit of conflict um i wonder if this uh, going back to that whole physical representing the 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 mental state thing, I wonder if this this reopening of an old wound thing is um, like kind of a hint that that something might be going on with Tristan, like the the the, the getting shot and having to be switched out to like might have re-triggered some backsliding in his progress and we might just this might be like laying tracks for that to come up later or getting us in the mindset or we could see that happening i know that might be reaching a little bit but um i liked i like that thought because yeah I, I think it's pretty traumatic when like you get shot and you have to be put in stasis or you're gonna die like that's probably a pretty traumatic i wonder if he feels the pain from the gunshot wound probably not because he's feeling what i don't know yeah i, I mean uh, i definitely there's a lot to think about there i i, I agree with at least that bit of it, like the fact that he seems so willing to be able to, to go back into stasis um, suggests that he suggests to me that he's not like freaked out about the idea of it. And there's a moment later uh, in, in this uh, episode we're going to talk about actually where he, he uses the stasis, the switching out as almost like a way of retreating from the moment. And yeah, it's almost like, Tristan is now viewing the opportunity to switch out with Byron as like a way to retreat both physically and mentally, which, you know, before he always wanted to be basically in the spotlight. Like he, he always wanted to be the one who was out and was basically always resenting it when he couldn't be. 
And the, both brothers kind of had this attitude, I think. And now, I mean, maybe this is stretching in a, in a completely different and perhaps opposite direction, direction but it, it almost seems like he's um, viewing the, the stasis as, as having benefits. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And I wonder if that brings with it a whole new host of problems where, you know, instead of being resentful for his brother, like always wanting to be in the spotlight, he's being resentful that his brother is pushing him into all the bad situations that he doesn't want to take care of. Like, you know, like we're, we're going to get into this when we talk about about Chris in a bit. But like Tristan gets mad and is just like, fuck this, I'm out. And OK, now, Byron, you have to deal with this. Like <laughs> suddenly yeah. you're thrust into it and and you don't have any control over that. He made that decision for you. And I wonder if there's some a, a whole different kind of resentment that could be tied to that, that that these brothers haven't dealt with before. Um, and 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 what that what exploring that could mean about their their ongoing relationship. I like that line of thinking a lot, actually. Yeah, I mean, the, the concept of, of recovery means like once you recover, once you overcome some particular issue, Usually that allows you to see the next issue in the line and, yeah, and, yeah. and like gradually I think things do get better, but there can definitely be a sense of like, oh, I didn't see this coming, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's really cool. Um, so. So now that the action scene is over, um, we have to do the job of of filling in the reader on what's going on. Right. Because like, that's the thing when you start in media res, um, you start in the middle of an action scene. And as that action kind of, uh, crests and you finish that scene, you need to move on to, um, what's going on. Where are we? When are we, what's happened since we last saw our, our characters. And, and the thing that I like about this chapter is it does this very like quickly. Like we have this one line here where they say they came after a team of heroes with the same setup and plan yesterday. I answered. I turned around looking at Etna and Crested, who were being given a wider berth by their new cellmates. Past three days, things have been go going a bit downhill. And I think that is like really, really efficiently laying out the facts since we last left our characters. It's been three days. Um, they've someone's tried this before. So this is the second time they dealt with dealt with this. Things are getting worse. Um, that's efficient. It's done. Um, they came to this knowing the basics things are said and, and the basics are bad. Uh, we also get told. So like, it's just like really efficient filling in the blanks after you started a media res, which I think, um, helps this work even better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so there's a fantastic back and forth here that references Victoria's choice to damage the power cable at the Lime Center, which we talked about last uh, last episode, where she references this idea that she was like, if you're going to damage something, make sure that it's not people's personal property like their car. Um, but then, like, immediately in this conversation demonstrates that she's not too sure about her reasoning anymore. Um, like, it's not obvious anymore what kind of property damage, if any, is going to be okay, especially with anti-cape sentiment running this high. Yeah, this is our first kind of hint of doubt within Victoria that kind of I think I think fills this chapter. And I think it's a kind of it's all subtextual doubt. This is really a moment of of it being on the surface, though. We we kind of joked when we talked about the whole Lime Center thing about how you're so concerned about people being upset, but you're just going to take power from an entire building and think that they'll be fine with that. Like we made that joke at the time and, and we see here rain kind of has a similar mindset. Like, I think you're downplaying how much people would value power to a building like this. And she's like, yeah, I, you're, you're right. And she's unsure of herself. And, um, I think the point here is that, that there's no easy answers on the right way of dealing with things anymore, whether it's, you know, using the wretch tightly in an enclosed space, um, 
what it is and isn't okay to destroy when fighting super monster transformed humans and uh, and or what we see at the end of this chapter, when to cut a deal with the bad guys, when to kind of uh, come to an agreement with them out of necessity. Like things are getting murkier and we know Victoria as a, a character who enjoys the easy right and wrongs, who likes when there are bad guys out there and I can punch them to defeat them and then things are better. She enjoys that black and white nature of some of this and it's increasingly going away. And And I think that's part of her being off focus and off centered here and a little she's got doubt. She's frustrated. We see in like a frustrated, angry Victoria through a lot of this. Um, it's things are, are not getting easier. They're getting harder. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of beats of, of uncertainty and, being forced to make hard decisions yeah. in these chapters yeah. um and and none of it is um none i I, th- I think it's definitely a trend that we're seeing actually in, in this arc even and um i don't know maybe maybe toward the la- toward the end of the last arc but uh i i can't think of any examples right now yeah. i think that we're we're starting out this arc with this real feeling of i think like you just said none, none of the choices she has to make in this chapter are 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 easy or like like yeah. uh, automatic ones you know yeah yeah and i mean like i said a lot of this is reflecting on you know the the big elephant in the room that is the chris situation that she knows she's going to have to deal with eventually um but but that's not all it is some of it is very much just her wrestling with how, how do you how, how do you, how does one be successful in a world that's gotten this complicated now yeah right um so in the background to all this that's going on, Victoria is ginning up a dialogue with the patrol block leader who is also hiding in the cells, trying to get a sense of how he's doing, how the kids are doing. Eventually, uh, we learned that this guy, um, Harris, I believe his name is, um, is like a former desk jockey. He's not, he's not really a guy who has had contact with on-the-ground law enforcement Um, But Victoria still offers to follow his orders if he has any. Yeah, I really I really love this interaction um, because internally, Victoria is kind of like painting this guy as completely unqualified. Right. She's like he's a desk jockey like she she takes pains to point out the huge difference between the administrative people and the people that are like on the ground making the decisions. Um, She she shows like how even, even when he was a desk jockey, he was in a tiny office, so he doesn't have experience with large groups of people she like really really takes efforts internally to make this guy seem completely unqualified and then says i if you want to take control i will follow you i not only does she say that she says i'm really hoping you want to i'm really hoping you want to take take the lead here and i think part of this is her desire to cooperate with these guys to make the patrol block feel involved and to spread that cooperation amongst different teams especially amongst the non-powered people that she's trying to win over to her side but i mean part of this to me i think maps to her general feeling of uncertainty here and 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 like that I don't know what the right thing to do is. I'm not sure how to how to properly handle the situation. And maybe in just this moment, it would be so much easier if someone else could be here to make these decisions because I'm having trouble with them. Um, and she doesn't get that, unfortunately. He's he's completely unwilling to step up. So she's kind of forced to to make all the calls here. Um, and I think that's so telling about what she's going through. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you said that because I entirely parsed it as the first thing you said, which is like she, she's doing her thing where she's trying to reach out. She's trying to bridge the, the gap between human and parahuman and make, make, make these law enforcement people feel like capes are on their side. She's definitely doing that. But I think there's definitely that, that element of like, oh, this situation is fucked. I don't want to be responsible for this right now. Like, because this has been, you know, the, 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 we're kind of told this has been going on for a while. Like, yeah. And, and, and really, she's been in kind of a world of chaos for like weeks now, basically. So, yeah. And she's, I mean, part of it, she's mad too. We'll get to that in a bit, but she's like, she's frustrated by like the fact that things are not going better. Like they should be going better at this point. Like she, we stood up our organization. This is going to be in control. Things are going to get better and they're just not. And that's frustrating. So she wants other people to step up. She wants other people to step up and do their part as well. Um, and she's just not getting that. And so that, yeah. that only adds to the frustration. It adds to the uncertainty. It adds to this off balance feeling. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah. So there's one more amazing moment that we need to highlight before the fighting starts properly, right? Um, when we're talking about the the tinker transformation drugs and how fast um, the people here changed and if there's more people that have eaten the food that might not change here, Victoria lets out that she's been reading up on tinker transformations. And Sveta, like, immediately calls her out on this. She's like, why have you been doing that? And I, I love this little moment because what it does for us is confirm definitely that Victoria has not told the group because we have yet to be um, the, 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 um, that hasn't been explicitly told, right? Like we, we have, we go into the situation in media res and we're not, um, we're not a hundred percent sure like what, what, what has gone down in the, in the past few days. So we need a yeah. moment where the text specifically tells us, no, she has not told them about Chris yet. Um, and that's, that's what this moment serves. And I like how it's done in a very like natural way. Like it, it, it ties into what's going on in the scene. And there's not just a moment of, of like internal narrative where Victoria says, and I haven't told them about Chris yet. Like I like it, it, it comes naturally to us, which I think makes sense for her mindset because she's like actively avoiding thinking about the fact that she has to break this news to them. Like this whole mission they're on right now, being involved in this, as we'll learn by the end of this chapter is supposed to be a distraction from dealing with the fact that she has to deal. She has to tell them. So it wouldn't be very fitting if her internal narrative is like, Oh yeah, I haven't told them about Chris yet. Like it's much more fitting that that comes up through dialogue or, or the, the explanation to us, the reader that she hasn't told them comes up through dialogue rather than it comes up through her point of view. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a really fascinating character um, attribute of hers, I guess, because Victoria can be very decisive. Like in in most situations where there's like physical, like a physical violence or or, or uh, even interpersonal situations often, she can be very, you know, get to the point, straightforward, kind of like prioritize the situation, make the right decision, move on. But we've seen like the whole basis of the story is that there are, there are things, psychological things where if it's difficult for her, she will find all manner of ways to not deal with it and, and, and push it off or, or not think about it, flinch away from it basically. And it's it, this, this Chris thing is painful enough to her that she's dealing with it the same ways that she's dealt with a lot of her own more, you know, longstanding issues, which is, I don't want to deal with that right now. And she's put it off for three days, which is really kind of a long time considering like 
your team should know this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I, I love, I love the fact like we didn't, Wablo didn't have to say she waited three days to tell them, right? He could have just, this could be tomorrow, right? But no, we, we say it takes Victoria three days to steal herself to tell them. Yeah. That, and, that's, that's cool. And I think what it also does is, is, is allow us to emotionally understand the importance of, of this revelation. Um, one of the things that like going into this, I don't think I fully appreciated how, how bad this was going to go and how bad, like I knew Kenzie was going to take it bad, right? Like that was always in my head because that's, that's very well established, but like the rest of the group, like Chris has been this, like this really nebulous character throughout the story so far for very specific reasons. And I don't think I had fully understand it, understood, understand it, understood like how much the rest of the team was going to be hurt by this. So by building it up in the way that the text does, I think it gets you, it clues you in on just how bad this is going to go for everyone. It gets you kind of emotionally prepared for how bad this is going to go. Um, and, and I think without that kind of build up, without, you know, Victoria's understandably like hesitant hesitant nature about dealing with this, we really get to understand emotionally what this is going to do to the team before we actually see it. We're prepared for it. Yeah. And I think yeah. all this goes into making the next chapter, you know, fantastic. Like we're doing setup work here, not just at the beginning of the next chapter. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, it's definitely not a hard and fast rule in parahumans that, that arcs begin with interpersonal team stuff and then build up toward combat but it, that is the trend so when the trend is is violated and the chapter start the, the arc starts with with cape action um what's happening here that's interesting and, and i think a little bit funny actually is like she's doing the cape action because the interpersonal stuff is scarier for her yeah i like that that is a that is a flip of the trend yeah 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 uh, yeah, so after setting up a lot of obstacles for the mutants pounding on the door, the team lets them in and then wears them down with holes in the ground, with cold water, and with punches. Yeah, it's a really cool fight. Not too much to say about it, um, except it's it's really kind of great seeing how everyone on the team, like, once again, I love seeing people work together and being good at their jobs. So it's like, it's it's fun to me seeing all these characters, like, combined their powers in interesting ways and, and in order to be able to take down uh, these mutants um i really like how wild Bill focuses on the environment in the fight like we get very explicit descriptions of how cold it is and the moisture that's left by the water is is like making everything more cold like i think they use the the phrase ambient moisture that's on her costume it's just like i, I just it really gives you the feel of not just like a, a, a geographical look of what the battlefield does but like the the feel of it and i, I really enjoyed that yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, go ahead. There's also a moment near the beginning of this that I just wanted to specifically point out because I think it ties into some of the stuff we've been talking about before. Um, Rain shouts, they're bleeding a lot. I think the effect is softening. And she says, a damn good thing he spotted that. If I'd hit them when they weren't bulletproof bulletproof tough, it could have been a disaster. Fucking irresponsible to do it like this. But it didn't feel like anyone was being responsible right now. And that's just like, that's just so reflective of her frustration. Like, they're they're being forced to choose between shitty options because they're backed into, into corners and forced into these terrible choices. And it's annoying her. It's frustrating her. This isn't what she wants. She wants it. She wants it to be clear, right and wrong, good, bad. And, and they're forced into 
bad or slightly less bad, which I mean, we know through the entire first book is a lot of the choices that you're given in this world. Um, but that's that's not like that. That's not a place where she's as comfortable operating as some of our previous protagonists were. And it's really frustrating her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she, she feels like she's being irresponsible, but like the, in, in her worldview, she still has to be here. She still has to be doing this. Right. And uh, it's it's painful for her. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> R- Rain uses his power, uh, and and it actually makes Victoria extremely annoyed to have her mind influenced by an ambient emotions power, which is super reasonable and self aware of her. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> because like, I mean, let's give her credit. She didn't actually like shout and get visibly angry at him this was all inside her head and she kind of stops herself from reacting to it but yeah it is it is funny there's no kind of self-reflective i wonder if this is how people feel when i use my power around them um we just see her kind of get really pissed off and i love that at the, at the end of the third chapter that we're gonna be talking about tonight she kind of does this to her teammates and we see this wonderful moment where damsel like through gritted teeth says like it's fine so like we know like like her power makes all her teammates very very uncomfortable um she gets some of that medicine there victoria yeah and she uses it all the time too so but i wonder like if it's if it's we know that the effect is slightly muted for her because that's what having emotional powers does is it kind of makes you slightly resistant to others i wonder how bad that is for everyone else in the team right 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 yeah right yeah, I mean, I, I do. We keep getting these minor reminders of, yeah, Rain's using this power. It's interacting with her power, maybe. Yeah. And we don't really understand why. So I, I think it's interesting. The chapter's reminding us that that yeah. is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's we we had kind of forgotten about it and and maybe Rain had kind of forgotten about it. And the, the text here says, like, he's starting to kind of learn how to use it. Like he's he's been spending time to learn how to how to employ it better and when to employ it better. So, yeah, this is going to be increasingly more important in our our breakthrough combat going forward. Yeah. Right. So the mutants are then beat back uh, and then they make way for the supervillains. Bitter pill, bird brain, blue stocking and foggy idea show up. Victoria assesses that these four would be a tough fight at the best of times, and the team generally agrees that it's not worth it. Uh, so instead, the two sides negotiate. What I love about this, Matt, is that in the middle of this negotiation, they're talking about, I think it's Bird Brain's power, right? Um, and, and, and the bad guys are listening in, and they know they're listening in. And so Victoria gets into kind of like an argument about certain phrases, like blue stocking says all or nothing isn't right you're using the wrong words and then she like like goes into her nerd splain of no actually i was using it right because this is the prt term and it's just like so hilariously victoria it's like no you don't understand i was using it right here's the prt term i have to define this for you so we fully like she's such a cape nerd and i love when we see that poke through where she finds herself being kind of dragged into this this argument of definitions with the villains she's about to try to negotiate a truce with. It's just, I, I, I just love it. I love it so much. Right. Yeah. I mean, she almost, she's, 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 she's kind of channeling like a cop here. Yeah. <laughs> where she, she's like using nomenclature. It's almost like the uh, particular individual kind of uh, way of speaking. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, uh, I agree. I love it. Nobody, nobody challenges Victoria on PRT terminology, Matt. Nobody. Yeah. She knows no. it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the thing about this whole thing is our heroes are 100 percent in 
crisis management mode. These guys are tough. And and so they fun, suddenly find themselves having to make real choices regarding what battles are worth having and what battles aren't. Um, th- there's like I think there's a reflection here of, of this type of choices the PRT had to make you know, back before gold morning that, that we basically said, we don't have the energy and the strength to stop all crime. We have to focus on certain crimes and we have to let the other stuff go. And that's kind of a place that Victoria is, is finding herself in now. And, and again, to compare it back to worm, that's something that like another protagonist couldn't deal with at all. Like there's like, like the, the idea that, um, we have to let, we have to let some kind crime go because we can't handle it all is, was antithetical to Taylor's whole thing. She's like, no, you just stop all of it. Like, look, I'll do it. I'll stop it all. Here I go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to stop it all. Um, and, and now our, our protagonist of, of this story finds herself in a situation where she feels like she has to do that. Like they say, if we fight here, we might not have energy for something else later today. And that's just a, a truth of uh, it's just reality, right? Like it's sad, but it's just the way things are. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it's interesting to imagine how like, you know, earlier in this story, Victoria would really not have been okay with this at all. Like this, this idea of, of okay, we're gonna we're gonna negotiate. We're gonna we're not even gonna try to take them in. We're just going to negotiate, and and they're gonna act. We're gonna let them get some people, some of their people out, and in exchange, we're gonna get something that makes us feel okay about it. But like, it's I think Victoria, like two weeks ago in, in story time, yeah. would have viewed this as like a terrible loss. Yeah, which is not to say it's not frustrating the shit out of her, right? Like she she feels like she has to do this, but she's not happy about it. Like I- even in the middle of this negotiation, she says to herself, "What would happen if I decked her and knocked her out right now? If I took a hostage and played as ugly and as dirty as they were playing right now?" Um, she says to herself, and so she is like she's not happily making these compromises, and and this is not the first compromise she's made. We've we've seen this again and again where she's like forced in the corner where they have to compromise a little bit, and and yeah, it, it's it is really frustrating her, and we keep seeing this frustration kind of build. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so there's this little moment here where Victoria compares blue stocking to the woman who gave her the stink eye in rehab, and I wasn't sure if that's the text or Victoria saying that she thinks that that woman was blue stocking or is it more like recognizing a common thread between those personalities? Yeah. My reading, and I went back and read this after I saw your question here was, yeah, she, this, she says that's another mystery solved, right? Like she said this, I think she thinks this woman, she's decided now she recognized this woman from somewhere. She couldn't place it. And then she's like, Oh yeah, there was a woman who gave me that same look. Uh, back at rehab this must be her I've solved that mystery now and she kind of gives herself credit for solving a mystery because she's so frustrated by the the losses she suffered and the difficult choices that she's making that that she she wants to give herself one little tiny victory so yeah that was my read on it that that she has decided that this is that person and and I don't know if that's the book saying you know 100% mystery solved this is the person or if this is just supposed to reflect her her desperate need for a win that she's gonna make this connect connection and then say it's official i don't know because like this is a little bit like it's a if this is if this is really just like the end of that whole thing like there was the setup and the end is just oh it's that person and that's just the end that feels a little weird to me right like like it it doesn't feel like 
like a, a great payoff for something that was set up. Like, so I, I'm not sure this is again, again, a weird part of critiquing a book that's not done yet is like, this could, this could come back in some kind of fascinating way, you know, chapters from now, but right now it just feels like, Oh, that was, that was it. Okay. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Right. It still feels like unfinished. Like, yeah. yeah. Like I think back when the woman gave her the stink eye, I was like, something's going to come of this. And this seems like an extension of that moment, but it's not like um, cl- conclusive, right? So yeah, yeah. It's not like, we'll, we'll, we'll oh, see. that was just a, a random villain that I'm gonna have to deal with later. The the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let yeah. us know what you thought about about this, listeners, because <laughs> yeah, I want to know. Uh, so the two teams start to negotiate, but before they get too far. Harris takes Crested out of the cell and then shoves some of the mutagenic food into Crested's mouth, uh, which is just just hilarious. Uh, so with this ticking clock element introduced now, the villains agree to a one-day break from villainous activity, $20,000 in reparations to the cops, and uh, fixing the injured Hulk people. Yeah, and I think it's important to note here that this wasn't Harris just acting on his own. This was Victoria like heavily like hinted do this right she said you know that stuff that's on the captain's desk uh get them set up with that and bring them out that was she was ordering him to to feed them the stuff um and so it's a little bit getting down in the mud a little bit right matt like it's 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 i mean look i'm not gonna sit here and be like this was the capital w capital t wrong thing to do here right I, i don't i don't think so but it is her kind of um, a frustrated, unsure, doubtful Victoria, like mixing it in the dirt a little bit, um, playing some 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 kind of dirty tactics to get an advantage in this negotiation a bit here. Yeah, we we get a few beats throughout these three chapters. I think of of her being like, it, uh, part of me wants to play dirty if they're going to play dirty, right. you know. And this is, I, I think, this is her playing a little bit dirty. Um, yeah. What 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 my old uh, Taekwondo coach would have called leveling the playing field. If they're cheating, then it's not <laughs> cheating if you cheat back. Right. Um, and and she thinks to herself earlier in this whole argument, that's what I said, like, what would happen if I just decked one and took one hostage to level the, the, the negotiation? And she doesn't do that here. Like, she's not taking someone hostage, right? But she is turning a person into a monster against their will to to get what she wants. Um, yeah. And and. It's not like, again, I like these people did bad things and she's trying to punish them in a way that helps out people. That's good. But yeah, she's she's mixed it in the mud a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I didn't draw that connection that that she's basically doing the Chris thing to someone for her own ends. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's yeah. good stuff. Good and stuff. I mean, that's that's followed up by the end of this chapter, her like talking to Harris, the patrol leader and being like look, you need to get some of these kids out here. Like we got to get some child soldiers to come out and start walking the streets because we need more people out here. And again, it's necessary. Things are getting bad. They need more boots on the ground. That is all true. But it just seems to me like we're making a lot of the same choices we made last time things started to get bad, right? Like we're like, all right, um, we got to start letting crime go. We got to start compromising in places. We got to start getting down in the to dirt a little bit and also those kids we need more kids let's get let's get some kids into this yeah yeah i mean she's projecting this great like i'm gonna say it again like cop energy this whole chapter yeah yeah like 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 maybe even like 
drill sergeant energy, like just a, just frustrated, aggressive, like like not willing to really compromise too much. I mean, she she does compromise, but I I guess I guess I'm not saying she's not willing to compromise. She she's willing to do what needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So Vicky and Sveta rest and Victoria admits that she views the events of this chapter as her way of procrastinating so she doesn't have to deal with the hard task ahead of her. Yeah, which, again, really level sets um, the the amount of dread and the amount of emotional horribleness that's going to come in this next chapter because we just had this frustrated, doubtful Victoria throughout this entire chapter, um, not mad frustrated unsure of what the right thing to do was forced to compromise with people she didn't like um willing to play a little dirty to make sure that she gets a win on those same people while still compromising and and that was all just supposed to be a distraction to the real problem coming um and and that's that's the next chapter that's that's us dealing with the whole chris situation yep all right let's move right on into this chapter which Man, again, I can't really overemphasize like I guess this is something that Wildbo just consistently does is he he sets up situations like this and then he absolutely makes sure to make you feel everything that could possibly be felt as a consequence. Yeah. You know, like like think like some writer in an alternate dimension might, you know skip this right just be like next chapter i told I, I told them about chris everyone was feeling down about it yeah moving on you know and like sh- think of what like like you would never know what you were missing because this is so amazing yeah i i, I mean I, I don't know is everybody feel me on this i i do and i think i think we're yeah. gonna break it down a little bit more specifically as we get to it but right. but maybe not like totally skip it but maybe homogenize the reaction right maybe like like make the reaction just like this blanket feeling of anger and disappointment that comes from breakthrough like that would be something i could see a writer doing like like this is a complex issue with a lot of different characters and, and it's easier to just say everyone was mad everyone is mad and disappointed but what this chapter does is lets us see each individual member of this team's reaction to this news and their issue and their disappointment and their anger is all specifically related to something that has to do with their relationship with Chris and with, you know, their general issue specifically. So it's not just homogenous anger. It's specific character driven anger, specific character driven betrayal, specific character driven disappointment. And you you didn't have to do it that way, but you're absolutely right. It it is. it, It makes this land in a, in a much more effective and enjoyable way. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, let's, let's kind of walk through it because the details are where it's at. Yeah. So this chapter, uh, is again, a fantastic, uh, exercise in precise atmosphere and tone setting and conveying the complex emotions of many characters at once. Uh, this is the kind of thing that Wildbo does very well. Um, so, we like like just just the introduction here or as we're moving into the chapter the headquarters felt dark even with all the lights on and monitors glowing it might have had to do with the weather outside in the late hour and it might have had to do with the fact that i was bracing myself to deliver hard news 
I'd ridden with the others in an effort to stay connected and keep a thumbs on, keep a thumb on the pulse of the group, going from a dark car with only the headlights on the road ahead of our, of us to our headquarters where the light felt insufficient left me feeling like I was underwater and the surface was a ways off. The world beyond the headquarters and the car gave me an ominous vibe. So like we're setting up the tone, you can feel it like a pressure on your chest, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that Victoria is falling back once again on water imagery, water and darkness, drowning in this lack of light. And I like this because we both have this moment where the like knowing the truth is a weight on her, but also the knowledge that once the truth is exposed to her team, once she shines a light on the truth, it it's going to be bad, too. Like it could be, I don't know blinding uh-huh. <laughs> um I, I love i love that like it's dark it's ominous like there there's drowning the weight of this information is drowning on her there's not enough light but still shining a light on it bringing the truth exposing it bringing the stuff to the surface is terrifying too yeah yeah i, I like that idea of, of the truth being blindingly blindingly bright it's it's too bright to look at damages you yeah so Sveta, Victoria, and Rain discuss the idea that Sveta uh, might be consistently holding back in order to, to not break her suit, something that she doesn't even seem to be aware of. Yeah, I really love the, how the dialogue sets this out here. Like this, you're used to holding back. I could see the realization cross her face, the connecting of two dots. I could relate to it. To I could relate it to a lot of moments where I'd missed something that seemed objectively obvious. We weren't always obvious. That's true. She finally said this, this realization that Sveta is in this, like lives in this constant state of holding back, like holding back has become so much of the norm that she seems not even consciously aware that she, she's doing it all the time. Right. Like, and, and, and it has become like that it's become that way. And she, like this realization to her is a big deal, I think. And I wonder, I wonder again, when I see, when I see like characters like this talk about, you know, physical limitations and, and their, their physical problems. I always want to relate that this to the, the, the stuff that's going on in their heads. Right. And I wonder if in her mind, she thinks this extends just beyond just the physical, whether she's holding back in her emotional relationship, she's holding back with, well, she's holding back with her friendships. Like, is she, is she in a perpetual state of holding back in every single kind of way? Because she, she has to, to survive and what that realization will change in her head, you know? I don't yeah. know if I'm reading too much into it, but no, I, I love that. Um, I, I I think that is being set up. Honestly, I think you know we have. Uh, I was thinking today actually about the fact that the beginning of the last arc was Feta and her. You know, I don't know where to draw the line sometimes. Yeah. And we, you and I were like, oh, so obviously this is going to be the Sveta arc where Sveta gets her interlude. <laughs> And we were completely wrong. Yeah. And and now we're in the position where she's the only breakthrough character who hasn't had an interlude, uh, yep. unless I'm unless I'm wrong. You're not. Uh, I don't think I am. Including Natalie, uh, and and uh, we're we're getting these hints of things like she doesn't know where to draw the line. She doesn't know what her limitations are. And and we have pointed out before that's both physical and psychological yeah so i i don't think you're overreaching at all yeah but i I mean that is that is a fundamental realization in yourself you know like um and and i i can't wait to see how this plays out i really like this and i really like that we're doing all of this 
like in the shadow of the truth that's about to come out. Right. Like this is the the focus of this chapter is the Chris reveal. But we still are dealing with the the ongoing Sveta arc. Right, right, right. So before delivering this news, Victoria armors herself in makeup and clothing. Uh, we get this paragraph as she's thinking back about kind of her her reasoning and history of why she puts on, you know, why, why she spends so much energy on her appearance. And uh, the paragraph goes, there was another side to, to the nostalgia, darker. After being turned from wretch to a Victoria made of stray animals, of rats and dogs, I'd stumbled through the days. My skin hadn't felt like my own, and it hadn't really been my own. The layers I put on over my skin were in my control, and even the most basic of makeup uh, could be the outer layer that worked with the inner turmoil and found reconciliation with the skin and meat in between. I love Victoria so much. Man. Yeah. I love like the paragraph you just read, the, the few paragraphs that, that came before it, um, makeup and clothing as an armor like and 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 how the thing i love about it is this is something she's been doing she goes back to nostalgia and remembers that she was doing this in her glory girl times um that she was putting on makeup late at night even though she knew she was gonna have to take it off in a couple hours that she was covering up injuries to make her seem uh, like invulnerable still and and now like after the wretch situation she's still using clothing and makeup as armor but like the reasoning behind it has 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 switched like it's and and i just love how this the same you know coping mechanism can extend through different kinds of trauma um and it's it's so it's so wonderful it's so complex like it just you you see paragraphs like these and you're like the complexity of what victoria is dealing with as a character is is like so nuanced and difficult and like like you can kind of like you can look at some characters and you can kind of see their arc before they get there. Right. Like you can see, okay, here's, uh, their want, here's their need. And here's how they, what they need to do in order to get those things to align and become a better person. But her issues are so complicated and so complex. There's no clear trajectory for me here in her arc. Like there's no clear way you can say, this is exactly how this is going to go. And I love that. I love the mystery of that. I love not being sure about where she's going to go as a character. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's great. I, I I agree completely. Like, um, there's there are too many different facets of her, which makes her a, a beautifully well-rounded and realistic character that you really relate to. Um, and, and I mean, it feels more realistic too, right? Because because humans are that way. Like we're yeah we're a big bag of of, of stuff. So you know, we could I I can't, could talk about this part forever, but like this part where she's getting dressed, putting on makeup, she's reflecting on the outside pressures that have consistently made her feel like she has to put in a lot of effort uh, from relatives, from peers, and even from Dean. And I want to pull that out specifically because th- this this thought of, of the, this time that Dean made a comment and she blew up at him, this is really interesting because it's like the first negative, possibly kind of like humanizing recollection of Dean that she's had in this whole story. She's taking him off the pedestal a, a little bit here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm really thrilled you you pointed that out because it immediately jumped out to me, too. Dean has absolutely been on a pedestal throughout this story. We've talked about this before, about how her memories of, of Dean might not even be like 
specific longing for him, but rather longing for a time in her life where she feel like felt like everything was relatively good. And, and she sees the death of Dean as kind of one of the first moments in, in a spiral that led to everything bad that happened to her. Um, so, so an admission here that Dean is not this perfect guy that he did some stuff wrong, that he pissed her off. And sometimes is, is important and it's a change. And I, I love that it's it's an abstract memory, right? Like she says she doesn't even remember specifically the thing that he said that set her off. He just re- or she just remembers that it happened. And uh, up until this point, I think the Dean memories have been pretty specific. Like she's been specifically remembering certain things like sitting at night, you know, nerding out about cape stuff. Um, she very specifically remembers remembers the moment uh, she, she learned of, of his death um, and realized she couldn't stop that from happening. This is so much more like, I don't remember the specifics of it, but I just remember being mad for a while and it took me a while to forgive him. And I love the difference in that. Like this is, this feels like a much more natural memory to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, like this isn't part of her, what's the word? I don't know how you pronounce it. Like hagiography that her, her, her narrative about how awesome Dean is and how like it, it was almost like a, you know, a, a retcon love story almost. This is just like, oh yeah, I remember that one time that Dean said something rude to me and I was pissed at him. Like, yeah, very like like natural, normal, um, like sort of almost catching her off guard. And and it's an and it's kind of a negative again, it's kind of a negative memory, which it, like normally he's memories of him are like a solace. This is more like, yeah, Dean was a part of this whole thing too. Yeah. And maybe this is a representation of her kind of learning to deal with that stuff a little bit. Um, and, um, you know, taking someone down from a pedestal is, is part of getting over someone, right? Like when, when you, when you, I mean, I, I'm, I'm reflecting this to being dumped because that's my experience. I've never dated someone that's died, fortunately. Um, but when, when you've lost someone or when, you, when you've lost a relationship, you you tend to focus on only the good things and you're missing them and you want that that if you could just get that back. And then part of, you know, moving beyond a person that you've lost um, is is recognizing that it wasn't all all the good things. There were bad things, too. And yeah, yeah. And I should spell out like probably a big reason why I kind of like made the connection the way I did is that she's basically just kind of been asked out. And yeah, that's may- true. Maybe, maybe like in the background, her brain is rearranging things so that that's okay. You know, sure, sure. Which is not to say she's like ready to go to be romantically involved with anyone. I think she's got a lot to work on before she should uh, put herself in that position. But yeah, I mean, th- yeah. this is this is a change, um, and it's worth pointing out for sure. Yeah. Uh, so the injured half of Breakthrough arrives in a taxi. And Victoria immediately singles out the team members that she expects to be able to take the the uh, the news the the best, the most level-headedly. Uh, there's some heartwarming family-feeling interactions as these friends come back in from the rain. We see that Kenzie has feathers in her hair and no hairpin, and she seems happy. Yeah, but I mean, in, in this case, we know that these family-friendly reactions, family-friendly reactions, are just serving a purpose of like setting us up to be heartbroken. <laughs> like, I mean, like <laughs> this, like Kenzie coming in here and being happy and, and pointing out the feathers and pointing out that she's not wearing her pin. Um, so that th- presumably she's not hiding the, the scar on her face. Um, that 
is specifically to twist the knife. Like, so we see, oh, look how good she's doing. Look how good everything is. Um, this is all going to come crashing down on our character soon. Um, and, and it's it's no accident that this is being pointed out to us through someone's point of view, because Victoria is seeing all this, too, and knowing that she has to she's she has to destroy this idyllic scene. And so the book is really emphasizing how wonderful and happy everyone is and and we're all you know everyone's back together and we're all doing good and here's bad news bears time yeah yeah the the reading experience for me the first time was really interesting because like there's the element of like oh this is all so great but like there and that's that is actually present but then like in parallel to it is the the dread right of like this is being set up so that it could all be really painful when she tells him the news like yeah so so but but it was interesting to me because it wasn't just the dread like i I genuinely felt like oh breakthrough everyone's happy and everyone likes each other that's great well that's the weird thing about your emotions right like you can know all the bad stuff is coming and still take joy in these these moments of of team cohesion and and an idyllic world that you know has to be destroyed if anything it makes you appreciate them more because you know that this is not permanent, that it's not going to last. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I like that. So Victoria begins to think about her concept of SPINE, <laughs> which which is an acronym from Uncle Neil. And this is schedule, make sure there's a healthy window of time set aside for discussion. Perception, make sure everyone is on the same page in the right frame of mind. Invitation, ask if they want information uh, necessary. Get to the meat of things quickly, be blunt. And then empathize, uh, meaning leave room for people to process. So I love this technique. I think it's great. I think it's smart. It's also so fucking hilariously Victoria that I couldn't help but laugh at it. Like, it's just like, okay, we got this really hard thing to do. What's the nerdiest way I could come up with with dealing with this? Use this acronym. Like, it's I love it. Like, I absolutely love it. I'm not making fun of her, but I just it's so Victoria. It's so absolutely 100 percent Victoria. Yeah, right. And it's like she feels like if she sticks to her checklists, you know, her her black and white or black text on white paper. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be something she can handle. Right. Yep. That's 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 been her all along. Yeah. That's what she goes back to for for strength every time she needs it is is if I can go back to the here's what you're supposed to do. Here's this, this, then this, then this, then this, then I can deal with this. And that's exactly what she does. Yeah. So. They she she takes those people off and we get this passage. We still walked, but they were quiet, all of them watching me. Ashley had a reddish tint to her nose and cheekbones. Her only headwear was a pair of earmuffs. Tristan was better bundled up, while Natalie was the best prepared, wearing her puffy jacket that was primarily for function. <laughs> uh, so I like this because, first of all, it's an utterly savage drive-by fashionisting of <laughs> Natalie's outfit. But also, it's reminding us who is here and who is not here. And like, that seems like a silly thing to point out perhaps, but like it's important that we know that Tristan, Natalie and Ashley have been invited and that Reigns, Feta and Kenzie haven't uh, because like that really matters to the dynamics of this scene and the following scenes. Like, yeah, it's, it's always good to have an accurate picture of the scene. The writer doesn't always need to remind you who is in the scene because it's not always critical, but in cases like this, it's critical. It's unusually important to know exactly who's present to understand like the the evolution of 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 what is impacting who when. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um and this is something that's hard to know 
when to do right because i think like when you're when you're sitting down to write a scene it's all in your head and so you might think the geography of the scene and the 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 people in the scene are clear because it's that scene's in your head but the people reading that can't read your mind might not so so knowing when you have to explicitly point stuff out like this um is really important and i think this is absolutely a place where it needed to be done because we we needed to specifically know because it matters who she pulled off first that says something about how she views these people and it matters you know who she didn't and and you're right i mean it's it's great and then yeah. i mean of course it, it, within this we have more wonderful moments of levity that's just they're, they're just going to be crushed like we have like even even Natalie, like even they're like having fun and poking at Natalie and her relationship, um, her time with her boy. Like it's this wonderful idyllic moment. Like I loved the like Victoria, <laughs> help me. And like yeah. joking about like le- sending him to the wolves and wolves and sheep's clothing. And he's like, no, it's goat clothing. And it's like it's like so hilarious and wonderful. And here we go. We got to destroy it all. Let's do yep. it. Yep, and and she just kind of cuts into this, and she starts in her little her little thing, her uh, her spine, and I mean, like the, the one of the like the first bits of this that's that's particularly gutting to me is, and, and it's not just gutting, but it's such such good writing as you can imagine exactly what it, exactly how it should be delivered. You know, yeah, it's Tr- Tristan's. It's uh, he's thirteen. Tristan stated, voice firm, like he could say it with enough authority to make it so. Then, in a 180 in every respect, he said, he's not 13. Yeah. I like how there's there's not even a question mark there, right? Like, it's not, like, he's not 13. It's, a 180 in every respect is just a wonderful line to get across exactly what you wanted. And it's bolstered by the the explicit, you know, descriptions of his voice beforehand. Voice firm, like he could say it with enough authority to make it so. I, I love that. And I love that then we say an, a 180 in every respect. Um, it, it's yeah, it's so good. Love it. So she finally tells them that he was Lab Rat. Uh, and it's obvious like that nobody needs to be reminded who Lab Rat is in, in this setting. It's a name that carries as much baggage as like Siberian in the sense that people in this world immediately know how bad it is. Yeah, which I think is another thing that's important to declare in the story, though. One of the things that's so unique about this type of storytelling is that the interludes always kind of naturally give us a leg up on most of our characters. We always kind of know things that they don't, but the text still needs to explicitly declare what the characters know. So by by having this reaction, like like Natalie says, oh, no, immediately. And, and so we get a very clear understanding of what the general knowledge of lab rat as a villain in this world is that i don't think i don't think we had a clear picture of that before this moment yeah yeah absolutely yeah um we in fact i think we had the opposite of a clear picture because we were recently just like talking about how like yeah well you know maybe maybe lab rat wasn't that bad of a guy <laughs> bad call matt bad yeah. call yeah so tristan is immediately angry so angry in fact that he asks to be shunted away Byron then comes out and then his reaction is to just look at the ground as he walks. Ashley's reaction is that she seems like bitter. Like she's not the hot ranting Ashley. She's not the cold murderous Ashley. She's someone who feels hurt and betrayed by someone that maybe she trusted. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're going to talk about this more as we see 
more of everyone's reactions when the team is at a whole. But were you surprised by either of their reactions here? Um, Tristan gets so angry that he immediately needs to go away. Ashley's level of disappointment is is visible, but like different from how she normally reacts. Um, let's phrase it this way. If I had asked you, you know, two weeks ago, how is Tristan going to react to this news? How is Ashley going to react to this news? Would you have gotten it right? I don't think so, because like Tristan, I I thought that he already disliked Chris, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so so like, why would he be so so upset about a betrayal by somebody he already kind of like didn't like too much? And yeah. then and then Ashley, I imagine that she would go one of her two typical paths of either ranting, you know, nostrils flaring yeah. and being furious, or like going like super cold but this isn't really the kind of cold that i associate with ashley it's more of just like a it's just a very human reaction honestly yeah yeah well and i think part of part of what ashley's thought process throughout all this is oh no kenzie right so she i mean and that's most of her reaction here seems to be focused on this is going to be bad for kenzie and i need to do something about that um for sure but there is a little bit we see here where um, they're talking about the complexity of Chris's situation of, of lab rat situation and Ashley pipes in and says, everyone's supposed to get a second chance. And Victoria says, yeah, I agree. But if it was offered and he didn't take it, if he decided to hide and operate in secret, does he really get that benefit? I say it depends. Byron said, barely audible. Yeah, I said. And that's like, I think a little hit of, of where Ashley's mind is because I think, I think, Ashley probably relates on some level to the idea of wanting to hide your identity because you're going to be prejudged for things that you didn't necessarily do. Um, so I think Ashley's probably going to be very observant to how the rest of the team reacts to to the knowledge that Chris is this this terrible person um, from before and and how they're going to judge him or prejudge him for that. Yeah, I mean, one thing that Ashley's probably doing right now is is like recontextualizing in her memory all these conversations she had with Chris. Yeah. Where, like, you know, he probably did share things with her, but they were probably, like, manipulated to hide information. But sure. she's smart enough that she can kind of put together what was he probably actually getting at there. Yeah. Because, um, cause, like... Like the dream stuff. I mean, we, we know right. we know that he probably talked to her about the dream stuff. So yeah. Um. So now that Wildbow has delivered the straight jab to the nose, he winds up uh, for the right hook to the nutsack, <laughs> and Victoria and the others return to the HQ warm and happy. Uh, or, or sorry, they're not warm and happy. They return to the warm and happy milieu uh, that they're now going to completely destroy. Yeah, and and. Before we go back to that, though, I just wanted to touch on one thing because this this segmented team conversation ends with this one line before we have a section break that says the Chris we knew was gone. And here's the thing about this is like we talked about a couple weeks ago. That's both true and not true, because like, yes, Chris lied about a whole bunch of stuff. But we also know that a little bit of who he is as a person came through in his conversations with these guys. Like we, we know that, that while he was continually dishonest to his team, part of him probably bonded with them and, and shared real feelings he had, even if, even if like the, the scenario around those feelings was false. So we're again, working with knowledge 
based on being inside Chris Chris's head, knowledge that none of these characters have access to. And it's it's very interesting seeing them, you know, jump to the understandable conclusion that everything he told us was wrong, that that Chris was a complete lie. They never really existed. They're completely gone and we're never going to get them back um, when we know it's a little more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah, right. And, and and I think maybe like individually, they all have a different piece of the puzzle that when put together gives the gives the impression that Chris is what we talked about last last episode, like not not lab rat, um, but also not not lab rat. Right. Like <laughs> right. it's complicated. Not not so, not 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 yeah. lab rat. Right. So before they can control, uh, sorry, before they can destroy Kenzie's soul, uh, she has some good news for them. She's been engaged in side dealing with Chicken Little and has all kinds of complicated, morally gray compromises to offer the team. Hooray! The thing that I love about Victoria in this moment is that she like knows what she's about to do, and she almost like can't even be bothered to deal with this information, right? Like she's got bigger things to worry about than Kenzie just inadvertently signing up them for whatever is going to happen here. Um, It's it's great that we get to see the consequences of this whole thing, like almost immediately after we move past this Chris stuff. That's the main focus of the next chapter. Um, But but first, we've got this situation to deal with. So we'll deal with that whole mess in a minute. Yep. Uh, So. Like one very interesting element here is that these are the more volatile team members that we're now talking to, like mm-hmm. and specifically Kinsey and Sveta, in terms of how they specifically are going to feel about this. And Victoria now can't actually use her spine technique because the other team members, uh, mainly Tristan, are too raw and upset about it to be sensitive. So, like you're even more on edge about how this is going to go down because it's Sveta and Kinsey now. Um, and Sveta and Kinsey are like already arguing about Chris before we even leave the P in spine. And then Tristan just blurts out, he lied about everything before she can even get like through I to N. So we basically like skip I and it's yeah. just, it's, it's th- this, this is the context where she would have loved to have her black letters on white text to rely on. And, uh, it just, I, I don't, I can't even put the fault at her feet, but it just didn't, it just didn't go right. And yeah, and it's painful. Yeah. I mean, by the end of this entire interaction, she's going to say, I messed this whole thing up. And I mean, I'm not really interested in like actually pointing fingers and saying, yes, you messed this whole thing up. But it is absolutely true that this did not go the way she wanted it to. And some of her strategic maneuvering around here kind of backfired. I think she was really expecting Tristan to be a more, um, rock (laughs) person in this whole thing that he was going to kind of um, be there to support her in the breaking of this news. And his reaction was, was a lot more, you know, angry red headed Chris that or not Chris or Tristan than, than she expected. Um, And that kind of ruined some of her stuff. I also think like the decision to tell Sveta last or not last, but in the second group, like makes sense when you understand the full nature of lab rat, but Sveta being aware that she was chosen in a second group for something also makes her more agitated. Like it, it triggers her feelings of betrayal. And I think by the end of this whole thing, Sveta's like understanding, but in the moment that kind of 
like raises her her hackles and like she gets more defensive and it's just like things don't go well. Like this was never going to go well. Like we, we have to state that this was always going to be a disaster. But I think it goes just about as bad as, as it could have, all things considered. Right. I mean, like there's there's a there's a reason Victoria didn't bring it up for three days, which is right. that like she just knew it was unavoidably going to be really painful. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny because, you know, we, we just talked about how, like, we, we learned a lot from the fact that everyone knew who, who, who Labrette was by name. Uh, we also learned, you know, a little bit by learning that Rain isn't familiar with Labrat because mm-hmm. he lived in the booties his whole life. And this is perfect because it gives the other characters the opportunity to explain, like, what is the common level of knowledge about Labrat in the world? Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's great because like you said, what we know of Labrat was bad guy in birdcage, um, then escaped birdcage and, and helped out with things. And then we learned a little bit more about him last week or two weeks ago, rather. Um, and we see that, you know, maybe there were some good parts of him. We were like, hey, well, let's be positive about this. But now we have to, to level set and remind people or tell us for the first time, here's the extent of the things that Labrat did. And we get some very explicit stories about just just how awful this guy actually was when he was in full operation. For every one person who went to the asylum for one reason or another, there was a Labrat victim. So one to one, every one person that went for another thing, a person was there because of Labrat. Um, and then we learn a, a little bit later about this, this thing that he was doing in the screaming anxiety form, he did that to someone. There was a woman like that. Her mind didn't exit that state, and she roared out cuss words nonstop all day, every day, without sleeping. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're really trying to, to get across to the reader, you know, the extent of actually how how terrible and awful and evil this guy was. Um, and not to say that's all he is and he does deserve a second chance on some level, just like everyone else does, um, and could get better. And again, this, this is not lab rat. This is something different, but it's important information to have for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we're, we're learning kind of how to feel about this through Sveta, I think, because Sveta is devastated to hear who Chris was. Yeah. And like, because like. Labrat is basically like a one man cauldron, but like kind of worse. Yeah. At least cauldron like, had some kind of weird moral justification for it. Like he's just doing it because he wants to. Right. Precisely. Like, yeah. Cauldron at least has an ethical framework and they're not just like, well, I need to, you know, you know, we, need, know, to, formulas. we need to make a lady scream for a long, yeah. long, long time. Yeah. Right. For science. Yeah. And then Kenzie keeps smiling and giggling, which is Ugh. like the worst possible reaction. Yeah, it's awful. And uh, she doesn't like seem to want to give any ground. Like she keeps defending Chris, even defending Lab Rat specifically. Yeah. And that's like that's where she's really pushing against the line. Right. She's like, no, maybe he had a good reason to torture the, all these people. And that's like directly triggering both Sveta and Victoria. And Here's where I the one thing where I think Victoria's planning went really well. I think telling Ashley ahead of time was a really smart decision because that way Ashley can be emotionally prepared to get next to Kenzie and to to help her and to push her in in the ways that she knows how to do very well, because Ashley does a really great job of stopping Kenzie when she starts going down a certain line of thinking too far. Like the reason why Kenzie doesn't finish the thoughts about, 
you know, justifying um, the, the, the monsters Chris turned people into is because Ashley stops her. And that was very smart. Telling Ashley was very, very smart because I don't think if she if she was learning this at the same time, she could still probably like go to Kenzie and attempt to help out. But I think allowing her to process it on her own first before she had to be dealing solely with Kenzie. Very important. Yeah, no, I agree. That was that, that that's that's perfectly astute of her, actually. And yeah, I, I mean, I think this probably could have gone worse, actually. But uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that was a good move. Um, so I just like this exchange where um, I think uh, Victoria says, I hear what you're saying, but we can't extend the benefit of the doubt. Not about this. Not until we have a reason to. If we have a reason, it, sorry, if we have to have a reason, it's not the benefit of the doubt, Kinsey replied. And then like a little bit later, um, it doesn't matter any to me, Kinsey said stubborn. It doesn't change anything. In fact, I kind of feel vindicated, or, sorry, sorry, validated because it fits everything in super neat with my seating chart. Um, so like <laughs> it's, I, but I, I love this idea of if we have to have a reason, it's not the benefit of the doubt because this this ties in so well with so many of the things we've been talking about in, in context of yeah of like what is a second chance uh, like it, I don't remember the exact which one of the discussion questions it was but it was like something about like what is the nature of a second chance and what does it mean to have a second chance and it's like yeah like if if it's it, I mean I could just couldn't have worded it better myself like if if it if if you have to have a justification then you're not actually giving a second chance. You're making someone prove that they deserve uh, some kind of concession, right? which is, which is a different thing entirely. Right. right. Everyone gets a second chance universally, but you have to prove that you're worthy of it first. I was like, well, wait a minute, hold on. That's not, yeah. I mean, I, I love, I, I, the thing I love about it is you're right. She is technically correct here. And I think, Kenzie is obviously letting her her love of Chris, you know, blind her a little bit and and do the same thing she does with all the other people. She kind of gets overly obsessed with that. She's able to look past all the things that they do to her or look past, you know, common social norms um, and, and defend them no matter what. But she's also correct that if we're going to live in this world where people deserve second chances, like I, I, yeah, I can't say it better either. It's not the benefit of the doubt if you have to have a reason for it. Like th- that's yeah. so true. <laughs> that's 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 what I love about how this all happens because Kenzie is being like herself and, and she's hurting other people while defending Chris. She's hurting Sveta. She's hurting Victoria to a certain extent, but she's also not wrong. And that's that's why we, we talked about Chris as kind of this point of, um, you know, bringing together all the themes that we had been talking about through the book so far. And and that's what that's our, our challenge to our characters who are trying to deal, especially our, our protagonist who is trying to deal with uh, what is the nature of a second chance? What is the nature of forgiveness? How do, how do we grow and change? How do we al- allow people to have the space to do that? And, and she's obviously not ready to deal with those questions around Amy and might never be, but here's Chris who does a similar thing. He turns people into monsters and, what do we owe a person like that? And um, especially if that person lies to us about it from the, from the get go. Right. You know, it's been a long time since we talked about this idea that um, breakthrough has, has this issue of 
being like not wanting to step on each other's toes and thus they, and thus they're kind of always walking on, on eggshells. And I think the reason why we haven't mentioned it in a while is it hasn't really been an issue in, yeah. in a while. I think they've gotten better at it. But right here, what, what we're seeing is basically Sveta and 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 Victoria both kind of pulling a don't go there card right. on Kenzie when when like Kenzie is like you said, not actually saying anything wrong. And and in fact, she's saying things that Victoria might agree with in a different frame of mind or a different context. Um, like like I, I thought the whole point of this group was that we are we're all monsters, aren't we? And we're all will and we're all supposed to be willing to to be open to the idea that even though we're all monsters in different ways, we can all come back from that. And yeah. it's more complicated here because Chris did lie to them to the extent that it's like you could say that his membership in the group was manipulative and, and in bad faith. I don't know if that's entirely true either. And neither neither does Breakthrough at this point. Yeah. I, I, and I understand their feelings of, of betrayal. Like, absolutely. Sure. But, but, but again, like, I... I it's just it's just I'm just, I guess I'm just pointing out how interesting it is this, this dynamic this reaction between Kenzie who who is almost just like holding to the party line of the group and, and but then she's being shut down by um by by Victoria and, and yeah. Sveta and, and and kind of successfully shut down too because Ashley's like yep we're going outside. Um, yeah. I mean, I will say that someone's saying maybe he had a reason to turn a woman into a screaming monster that never stopped screaming. <laughs> it's probably not a thing that you want to say to two people that have been turned into monsters by other people um, generally. But I mean, I, I agree with you <laughs> that. And doesn't the fact that that some of the people are reacting so negatively specifically to finding out that he was lab rat, like prove his point about hiding that he was lab rat? Like, yeah. like, I mean, not entirely, because, again, part of what they're feeling is betrayal at the lie. But Sveta specifically is less concerned to me about about the dishonesty and more concerned about that. He was the mini cauldron turning people into monsters. And, and that's despicable. And, and I was ne- I was next to this person. And so, I mean, I think it like it not entirely proves his reason, like like proves him correct for deciding to make that choice, but it doesn't help with the counter argument that no people would have given you the benefit of the doubt either. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. Like, yeah, if he had told them on day one, yeah, I, I have a lab rat clone. It would have been, yeah, <laughs> uh, who, <laughs> right. who knows though, really? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, we've talked about everybody now except, uh, rain actually. So on hearing Chris's, but like specifically, Rain doesn't react too much because he doesn't know who Labrat is. But then on hearing the, the specific detail that Chris's transformations weren't aimed at like repairing himself, but rather at making himself more monstrous, Rain flips the table um, and Ashley takes the like uncontrollably giggling Kenzie out for a walk. Tristan gives Rain a hug and Sveta is just kind of left alone with her anger. Yeah. And, and we, we kind of talked about this a little bit before, but what I love about this so much is that each individual member has their own individual reactions to the news, right? And, and they have their own individual issues and their own things that upset them for their own character driven reasons. Like we said, you could have just made this homogenized anger, but 
they didn't. We have Tristan, like Tristan's entire focus throughout this whole thing. It's something he repeats again and again is he lied about everything. He, he lied to me that the, 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 the part that really seems to upset him the most is the dishonesty that it's not like, we don't see Tristan specifically say he's lab rat. That's disgusting. It's, it's all, he lied to us about everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Cause that's the first thing he blurts out. He doesn't blurt out. He's lab rat. He blurts out. He lied to us, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and exactly. rain, I think rain focuses on that too, on that dishonesty on that, 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 that he was lied to, but in a, in a different kind of way, like he says, you know, Chris was my friend, like my first friend that like he, he's shunned by everyone in the fallen. He decides he wants to get away from them. Maybe is, is trying to change and trying to be a better person. And here he finds this, this guy who is kind to him and, and lets him borrow things. And this real friend that's not trying to manipulate or use him. And he finds out that this person in trying to escape from the monstrosity of the fallen, he befriends this person who he learns is actively trying to become more monstrous. And, 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 you got to wonder, like, if he's feeling in his head, like, what is wrong with me that I can't escape from being allied with these monstrous people? Right. Um, and and I I think that's why we see the table flip come at that one moment when we learned, no, he was actually trying to transform into the monster. He was trying to be less Chris and more monster. And that's like everything Rain was trying to escape from. Yeah, I, I love that. I don't think I made that connection, but I I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And then like as we go through them, like I said, Ashley's reaction is is pretty focused on Kenzie, on getting Kenzie through this stuff. We don't get to see a lot of her individual response to this. Um, we get hints and, and pieces of it, but not totally. Sveta's entirely focused on the lab rat side. Like it doesn't seem like the 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 I mean, it is betrayal. So that activates her betrayal, you know, trigger. But also the fact that it's specifically lab rat is what's most important to her. Um, and, and that's like, everyone has their own reaction to their own part of it. That's character driven. And like, and they all make sense within their character. Like this is so complex and complicated and, and I just love how it all plays out. I really, really love it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like I said, at the top of this chapter, like not, not a possible potential beat of emotional devastation is missed here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Kenzie being carried away because she's laughing uncontrollably is like the the cherry on the top of this shit Sunday because it is just like this like it, it, you you can almost hear it as you're reading it right like this like this is the worst thing that's happened and there's this uncontrollable giggling cutting through it all um and and I like she she rain says to her like stop like stop and she's like I can't I can't and it's so it's so devastating yeah yeah and so yep as this as this chapter wraps up victoria looks away from the scene aiming to compose herself and she finds herself looking at the projections of tattletale's terrifying notes yeah that was bad let me make myself feel better by reading about all the ways the world is gonna end yeah, yeah. yep and of course this chapter ends with the most ominous beat of it all right like her saying man it would be really dangerous if this info got out uh basically guaranteeing that that's gonna happen yep so we move on into our christmas present scott yay 11.3 christmas day <laughs> chapter 
And this chapter picks up with Vicky and Ashley bringing Kinsey to their apartment to keep an eye on her. Kinsey's having a bit of a freakout. Uh, I'm actually not sure if the freakout that they're reacting to is the freakout that we saw or if she like is implied to have said or done more things after the cut, so to speak. Uh, but but in, in either case, they're taking care of her. They're going to reassure her. You know, they're they're reassuring her actually that she's handling it better than she thinks she is. Yeah, I, th- I think we saw everything that, that she said, probably um, with probably with the exception of like more giggling. And um, because I think the, the the focus of how she feels is related to like she's acting like she used to, to, to used to act. And that was very much to me connected to the the smiling to hide the way you're feeling, the laughing to hide the way you're feeling and that kind of thing. So th- I think I think that tracks for me. Yeah, yeah. But I I really love that this chapter opens on Victoria carrying Kenzie and we get these beats about how, you know, she's so skinny, but but because she's wearing this big puffy clothing, um, it means carrying her requires more of her arms than it normally would. We get moments here where she says, like, it's it's hurting her former injuries. It's hurting her gunshot wound. It's hurting her burns. And it's like I think there's a lot of symbolism here that like they're she's carrying Kenzie and it's causing her pain because this is this is a heavy burden to carry what's going on with Kenzie right now is heavy and complicated and it it is like not not an easy thing to do for any of these characters yeah 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 absolutely um so I love this beat where Ashley reacts to seeing Slashley being uh terrifying but probably doesn't notice that Slashley has gotten out teas for the little girl to drink. You mean Natalie, right? Natalie Singh. Uh, you said Natalie, you said Slash. You said Ashley to Slashley. Just want to make Na- sure. Natalie sees Slashley being terrifying. Yes, yes. But Slashley is getting out teas for the little girls to drink. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. I think we're doing a lot with Damsel in this chapter, and there's a little bit of her in the next one that we'll have to get into next week. Uh, but. I do think it is very meaningful that that Natalie seeming to only focus on the scary parts of her and miss the human parts of her um, is is like doing something here for sure. Like we've called Natalie our our general humanity surrogate before that she's a great surrogate for the, how, you know, non capes are going to react to certain things. And obviously she's much more than that. She's a member of this team now and she's a complicated character in her own right. But I think her being that humanity surrogate works here because she looks at Slashley and she doesn't see the bedhead. She doesn't see the fact that like all the humanizing aspects of her, the bedhead, the kindness for letting out the tea, all that stuff is missed by her. The thing she does see are the claws. She can't look past. She can't look past the monstrous parts to see the human parts. And um, I think that's really important because I think that's something that Damsel is going to be struggling with her entire life. Like no matter what choices she makes going into the future, people are going to see the monster before any other part. Yeah, I thought it was fun writing just because like you 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 see in your head or at least I saw in my head like the image of of Damsel like in the doorway with her with her long knife claws like like silhouetted just like a black silhouette in light. Yeah. And then, like, shifted when Victoria is like, what I see is the 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 kind of like <laughs> sillier version of my friend who is ridiculous and just woke up from a nap because she naps all the time. 
and yeah like it, it, it it's 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 fun it's fun that your brain renders both things for you yeah yeah oh I mean, you could also make the argument that you know victoria sees natalie's um reaction to the claws and just like because we don't we don't know that natalie didn't see these things that she didn't see the tea that she didn't see the bedhead we know that victoria thinks that natalie didn't see this stuff and this might be going down a rabbit hole we don't really need to go down but uh, it, it could also be just a a, a example of how Victoria views certain people unable to see past the monster uh-huh. rather than those people actually being unable to see past the monster. That's a, yeah. le- that's a level that I, I don't know if I want to go down because that gets so complicated, but yeah, right. I mean, I think it's worthwhile to, to mention the fact that Victoria has been quite wrong about Natalie before, like, like, and maybe that was just like us being wrong, but like, I remember when, <laughs> when, uh, but back when Natalie went to like that big cape gathering and and detect and Victoria's like like narration is like capes are neat Natalie said sarcastically um or, or something like that and it's like or, or at least at least our takeaway was like oh Natalie must hate capes and it like wasn't the case at all actually so yeah, yeah. So, so so I think Victoria was projecting this wrong sense of Natalie and maybe that's what's happening again here too so I don't know I, I like that you pointed it out could be. Yeah, I, I think I think basically what we're the most important thing is we're doing here is we're setting a, a view of Damsel as uh, a monster. And I think that's going to matter because, I mean, we move right into after this, we move into discussion of Damsel as a restless person that wants to leave and go be a bad guy again. Right. Um, so, you know, chaining those two individual scenes together seems to be like we're, we're, we're preparing this trend of of Damsel is going to be making decisions in the future. And part of that decision-making process is related to her perception amongst people, like how people view her when they look at her. Yeah. 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 Uh, so speaking of all of that, Victoria eavesdrops on Ashley expressing disappointment with damsel over her apparent decision to leave the argument peters out, uh, simply making us aware that damsel is restless. So I kind of, I mean, did you see this coming? Like the fact that she was going to leave? I always saw this as a temporary arrangement, right? Like that she was never going to like be part of the group. And I think part of that is the text, like make sure to point out every time we're talking about breakthrough, it's like break- breakthrough and damsel. Like they were never like she, it was never breakthrough damsel breakthrough member. Right. Um, so I kind of always saw this as a temporary arrangement that wasn't going to last, but even so, like, I think it's still sad to see this as an eventuality. I, I loved the interaction between the two characters. Like, I loved all the interactions we've seen. It's it's always fun. It's always funny. Um, it, and we we always get to see, like, like the interaction here specifically is Ashley almost talking to a, a past version of herself and just being like, no, I've learned things. You're wrong about these things. Why don't you understand that? And and being frustrated with with what is essentially like a version of herself that she's not anymore. Yeah, they made the wrong choices and and is stuck in a past that she's moved on from. And yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's like this specific thing she she says where she's like, "This thing you call restlessness is like," and we know exactly what she's talking about back from Eclipse. Like, yeah, you you can't you can't make your life choices based on that feeling that that is a disaster. That's what got us killed in the first place. Yeah, um, but but for Damsel's credit, she says to that response is. I know what it is and what it becomes. So like, it's not like you can't make your choices on restlessness true, but to damsel's credit, if you don't deal with that restlessness in some way, it can blow up 
in horrible ways as well. And so to not act on it can be just as bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the complicated nature of of this whole relationship between the two of them. Is like I want to look at this scene and say, fr- from my perspective as a reader, I want to say, look, Ashley has made all the right choices. She's she's on the road to recovery. She's gonna get better. She's gonna beat her demons and 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 not be that person that that gets so angry she kills people. But I think it's a little more complicated than that. And I think like you want to look at the scene and you want to look at damsel as the foil that exists to show how much better Ashley is now. But that's, that's a little too easy for this kind of writing for this kind of story. And I think it's going to be more complicated than that. And I think we're damsel might be leaving the group. She might be, you know, becoming a villain. I think we get hints in the next interlude of where she, a place that she could slot in very nicely where people would like her. But their conflict, the conflict between the two of them and what that conflict is going to represent in the the continuing story of Ashley um, is going to still matter later in the book for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's that's true. This is being kind of slowly played out. Damsel has been kind of a background character for a while now. So. Yeah. And I wish yeah. I, I really wish I could say, you know, with 100 percent certainty that her, her, her entire purpose is to show how much better Ashley is now. But I just, I, I don't have that certainty. That's what I want. I don't think it's what I'm going to get. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So now Victoria goes and she boots up her computer to look over Tattletail's notes. Um, she looks over some of the other Cape research materials for the names listed in Tattletail's notes. Uh, we get a flurry of information and images about the mercenaries and capes that have been lurking in the recent background plots. And then Victoria, after kind of going through all this, helpfully summarizes it for us. (coughs) And she says, making sense of this, the pharmacist had been allied with Teacher. Teacher was connected to the hyper-religious nuts from Earth Cheat, uh, with some fallen and kingdom come roped into that. They, or Teacher, had hired six mercenaries. Contender, the one who had created an arena, Noontide, who had tried to put Sveta and I to sleep, and The Order, a quartet of capes who we hadn't seen yet, with only two of them in my pictures here. Attention had been drawn to them only because Tori had claimed to be a victim in the goddess debacle and asked for people to help, uh, had asked for for help as a non-threat and then started hanging out with people who hurt others for money. Yeah, so it's very helpful to have that all connected for us. Yeah, I mentioned this while I was live tweeting, but I'm going to say it again here. Thank God for this. Um, there's a lot of information, you know, being dumped on us in this chapter and it's, it's almost to the point where it's overwhelming. And, and so right when, right when it might, like we're getting so many new Cape names and like, there's so much uncertainty around it. Like we think these are guys from earth sea, but we're not totally sure about that. Um, that it, it, it wraps up into this kind of confusing ball and thank God our character comes in here and just summarizes it and straightens up straightens it up for us um especially since victoria is like going so fast through all this because she's such a cape nerd that she's like 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 excitedly making connections and doing one of the things she loves to do more than anything um and and probably like the way you and i read the story without this summary like if this wasn't here we probably because we read it like three times could parse all this together and come up with our own summary and in our own heads make sense of it but we don't have to do that because yeah it's here. And I think like I was thinking about this a lot 
And I think this is like a really underestimated skill in this writer's arsenal and that a lot of writers, a lot of good writers have this ability to gauge successfully when you're laying too much information out and, and you need to summarize it because like a writer knows everything about their world. They know it all, but they don't know how much everyone else knows. So, so like I think in, in a non-serial type of writing situation, you write your book, um, you have an editor read it, and the editor says, you need to summarize this information because there's too much in this chapter and it doesn't make sense and you need to summarize it. But Wildbode doesn't have that. Um, all he has is his experience to go off of and his ability to successfully gauge a situation and say, I'm going to have to summarize this because people aren't going to be able to to parse through it all themselves. Um like that's a skill like that's a skill that you have to have and that comes from experience that comes from writing chapters you know two a week for years and then reading people's responses to those chapters and knowing which parts they got and which parts they didn't and learning like who your nebulous cloud of reader what they can get and what they don't get and like that's another thing that is a little bit different about this whole serial thing, right? Is that it's a different kind of feedback. It's a different kind of skill. Um, and it's just fascinating to see this and go like, yeah, that actually knowing when to do that is, can't be easy. Yeah. This set me off on this whole tangent. Cause I'm, I'm currently binging packed. Um, <coughs> because the, uh, media M- MD guys are doing uh, deep impact. Go check it out. Um, plugged it, plugged it. And, and that means, that means we're not going to do that. So anyway, <laughs> uh, the point is, the point is like in the course of binging a wild bow cereal, like binging the word sort of almost implies reading fast and, and like the, the propulsiveness of, of these stories tends to be such that you're, you're, you're reading them as a page turner. You're you're reading. You're not you're not going back. You're clicking next chapter. You're clicking next chapter. You're clicking next chapter, and it's especially important that the author be ready and willing to be like, remember this thing? No, okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna remind you, but in a way where where we're not being like to remind you of this thing. It's it's all it's it's woven into the story very organically, and I think what's what's really great about the way he does it here in this particular case that you've pulled out in this chapter is that like we are reading it really slowly and we still appreciate it <laughs> to have, our, to have <laughs> right. everything kind of woven together for us. If you're binging it, it's doubly necessary to do stuff like this because people are just going to completely blow past it and, and just be like, whatever, whatever. Like, like, I'm I'm sure this will make sense to me eventually. I'm just going to keep reading, right? Yeah. And and Wildbo wants you to understand it now, so right. Yeah. Well, and and I think, like I said, the, the amazing part of that is that he can't ask that question mid chapter. He can't mid chapter go, "Hey, you remember this part? Oh, you don't? Well, let me remind you." Like he has to know ahead of time that you're going to need the reminder and and plan around that. Because if I was reading this chapter two years from now, I might look at this section and say. I bet this was added because people weren't getting it. So he went in and edited the chapter to add this. But we know for a fact that that's not true because we read it right after it came out. So it's just like I just I just find this continually remarkable. And and as I was thinking about it, as I was reading this again, I was like, that's a really undervalued skill. That is one of those things that you don't think about being challenging because you're only seeing the end result of it. But you 
you can like you you know you, you have to know before you even release the chapter in a case like this yeah yeah i agree um yeah so overall like to kind of touch back on the actual content of, of the text oh yeah that the, we the story we forgot about yeah. the story <laughs> there's there's like a suspicion that it, at least some of these guys or groups are from Earth C uh, due to their lack of history in in her notes. Yeah, and so what all this means is we're kind of starting to coalesce all the different threads and threats that we've experienced in the book so far. Um, you know, these people are working with these people, and they're trying to do this, and and all these things that they've been having against them seem to be coming together under some one thing. And she says it's teacher. Like I, I love. Uh, the I think the texts like want to assign every bad thing to teacher is related to uh, the the readers att- like want to assign every bad thing to teacher like teachers this person we know is so powerful and he's so sneaky that like whenever something bad happens a lot of the community is like nah, I bet teachers involved in that and I like that our characters do that same thing it's like this has got to be it's all teacher and we learn at the end of this chapter that not necessarily that some that, that he had part of part of this but he lost control of some of it yeah yeah right i mean i I wonder i don't want to go off on too much of a tangent but just the idea that like victoria doesn't like uncertainty she likes to make decisions you know and for her a facet making decisions is being like ah it's teacher yeah yeah well we know he's bad we know he's bad if there's this one bad guy and he's responsible for all of it that all makes sense because he's the one bad guy right not to jump to conclusions but it's definitely this guy (laughs) yeah yeah. Um, and then Victoria's studies are interrupted by a detonation of Ashley's power. <gasps> and then we start getting the section breaks. <laughs> so following the first section break, Victoria shoots downstairs. Um, Ashley says she was grabbed by a man uh, that she's 70% sure was there. Uh, and she blew a hole in the window. They contact Rain and learn that his project that uh, Kenzie's projector bro- box back at the HQ is sweating, uh, and Kenzie concludes that somebody must have just dumped water on it. <laughs> I love Rain, Matt. <laughs> I love Rain yeah. so much. I love him in this moment. Like after the the emotional mess that was the last chapter, there's so much d- d- delightful stuff that goes on in this chapter. Like uh, Victoria texts Rain here and says, "Trouble. We might need help." There was a pause. Rain. That's not good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate your input. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this computer's sweating. I hadn't noticed it until this point. Yeah. No, it's 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 actually, uh, you're right. It's fun to imagine him being like, oh, shit. Uh, and then, like, I'm going to fall asleep in, you know, 15 minutes or whatever. Yeah. And not be able to help. And yeah. just, like, freaking out about it. <laughs> it's really good. So then Victoria goes into her room and finds everything saturated with gasoline. Section break. How is this mysterious person getting through their place without being detected? Yeah. Well, I, I really love how horrified Victoria is of this, though. All her files, months and months of effort, potentially about to go up in flames. She's devastated and she's angry, too. And there's this moment here where Kenzie mentions that her feathers have been stolen, too, which is absolutely awful. That's the worst thing that could happen. That's worse than all the files. And in this moment, like it seems like Victoria in her rage about her files, like might end up dismissing Kenzie's concern. Like I, I remember the first time I read this and she was like priority. She like Kenzie says, my feathers, they're important. And Victoria's response is priorities. Um, 
and you think like in the back of my head is like, oh, no, is she going to completely dismiss the importance of the feathers because of her files? And we learn later that, no, she's not. Actually, she's going to do the opposite of that. And it's adorable and wonderful. And I love it so much. But in this moment, I was like, oh, no, don't don't be dismissive of Kenzie's thing because because of your files. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I like that. I mean, we were talking earlier about this idea that like she's more angry about the idea of the files and and to an extent Kenzie's feathers than she is about the idea that the building is about to be set on fire. <laughs> right, right. The, it's not it's not the building, it's the the files. Yeah. The files. And I mean this is totally in, in character for her too cuz I mean as much of a hero as she is, she's like Cape nerd first, hero very close second. Yeah, I think you're right. She was a cape nerd before she was a hero, after all. True, very true. Uh, so Victoria prepares to save her computer, um, and and I like this bit where she thinks through the end state, like desirable combat outcome is for each of her family members. She goes through all of them uh, one by one and ends on herself. Her specialty is dealing a lot of damage and measuring out how much. Yeah, so this is one of those fun moments where I think you're reminded exactly how an individual's powers and their strategy around those powers uh, reflect on their personality. Because I think if you look through her family members and see the way their their strategy around their power is, you also see how they handle um, non-power conflict. Like, you know, for example, Carol, her strategy with her power and dealing with things is to just go right for the jugular and then leave your opponent with no other choice but to submit to what you want hey is that how she handles uh conflict with her daughter <laughs> that's kind of familiar um and and i think that's yeah i think that's reflected through all of this right because she says mark like he ha- he sets up like a perimeter with his concussion grenades and basically forces people to retreat and that made me think of like his his role in the fight between Sveta and Carol with with Victoria kind of in the middle where he's just like okay we need to get out of here like you need to leave like this is like he, like forcing people out of bad situations like like setting up a perimeter and forcing people away um Victoria is like like you said this this like damage lots of damage but measured and controlled damage and that's exactly how she deals with situations that she like like outside of just just power situations she she like like look at look at how she dealt with telling them about about Chris. Like she knew she was going to have to deal deal this blow to her group, but she wanted to do it in this measured and controlled way. That's her. Like I, I just love that's I've loved this since I started reading these books. That everything to do with the powers ties back to who the person is. Everything and and we see this once again. Their strategy around their powers ties back to who they are as people and how they handle all kinds of conflict because it's part of their personality. And I just I will never stop loving that as just like a general concept. Yeah, um, I I think it's incredibly fun as you said to look at her description of the way her family members handle combat and to think about their personalities and how that lines up with it so well. And uh, I just love that you pointed that out. That's great. So um, next, the man ambushes her in her computer room and the two tussle. Victoria manages to disengage and fly to the ceiling with her computer. And at this point, Imp reveals herself. After another section break. Yep. Maybe this is the time where we can talk about them. This is the right time to talk about these section breaks because yeah. you, you realize as the chapter is going on that Wild Bo is using section breaks to kind of 
call out and emphasize the moments in which Imp is using her power and uh, things are happening that our characters don't remember. So we're jumping between scenes and we emphasize this through a complete break in the text and moving on to another thing. Um, Yeah. It's this wonderful little touch that like we've seen Imp shenanigans before and they've been fun. And and this is fun here too. And it's just, it's just another little structural touch touch that takes what is a good scene and i think to me makes it a great scene once you kind of see what what the text is doing with those breaks i just like it a lot um i i i don't like i don't have anything like particularly insightful to say about that technique other than it's fun (laughs) yeah it's just like it takes a good character and a good idea and makes it better yeah right i mean the, the section breaks imply more of like um lost time i think yeah like like and, and it's it can be fun in completely different ways because like i'm immediately remembering the first chapter where imp um well not the first chapter where imp is present but the chapter where taylor and the undersiders are breaking into the prt hq yeah. and it's just like suddenly there's someone cackling there's somebody with an with an axe and and, and it's just like there's no section breaks there but like the 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 weirdness is like, what what the hell is going on? Who is this person? <laughs> right. And, and and here it's more like, wait, what just happened? Like, not not who was that, but like what what actually is happening, what just happened. And, it, and it's I don't know, I just think it's a fun tool to to play with how imp's presence might be perceived in different contexts. Yeah. And it's just yeah, like you said, it's fun. It's, it's clever. Fun. It's really clever too. And it's like yeah. and, and and like you said, I think the the section break in this chapter is used in every way that you can use it like you say okay i'm going to do this thing where every time imp uses her power there's going to be a section break what different forms of entertainment can i get out of that you get like the threatening scary one you get the fun one like there's the moment where there's a section break and victoria says to herself was it over had i won and that's hilarious like that's so funny she's like i I guess uh i did it (laughs) And and then like you get the, the funny part where <laughs> with her uh, firing the flare gun for yeah. a second time because it didn't work the first time. Like it just it, it it's it's a clever little structural device in the story that just takes everything and makes it that much better. I yep. I just enjoyed it so much. Yep. And and what I like about the fight in general is at certain points of it you're kind of unsure if Imp is gonna like actually go far enough to kill someone like like imp has been this kind of changing character who started out like pretty ruthless and then we kind of saw her like through her interactions with with taylor and and other people like learned to maybe not go quite for the nuclear option yet but you're like we've been away from her for a while so we're not we're not totally sure about that and on the other side like victoria is really pissed off because they're the files matt the, the files so, like, in the back of my mind, I was like, is she going to, like, lose it a little bit here? Because, like, in her mind, she's like, I could just win this right now. Like, and she could, like, just take the wretch out and just, like, win. Yeah. Um, right. But she doesn't, of course. But, like, in the back of your head, like, either of them, you're like, are, are either of these people going to push it too far? Right. Yeah. I mean, like, like we see Victoria get, uh, I was, I'm only, like, half joking about how, how, angry she she gets about the idea that her notes are going to get destroyed like she she cannot overstate in her own thoughts how serious this is for her 
Yeah, I mean, at one point she's basically like screaming in her head, mine, mine, and you ruined it. Like, it's like she's not in a good place about yeah. about the potential of, of losing all of this stuff. Yeah. My notes were everything, she says. Yeah. My notes were everything. Right. Yeah. So eventually she notices Imp's replaced arm, which we already knew about. But, you know, now we're able to look back over the chapter and consider how its presence influenced everyone's perceptions and also kind of limited Imp's power in, in many cases. Yeah. I, I, like, I guess it's like the only reason she got caught at all, right, is because of the arm. Like, yeah. if, if if this were Imp at her full power, she could have just snuck in here and no one would ever noticed and destroyed it all and gotten away with it. If it wasn't for that meddling hairy arm. Um, yeah. Can we, like, I want to I want to use this moment, and I know we're already running long, but hey, it's us. But I want to use this to kind of talk about, like, quote unquote contrivances and narrative and how I think this story successfully avoids that kind of critique all the damn time, because like you could make an argument if you wanted to, that the whole imp getting her arm switched out thing was just a contrivance to make this whole scene possible. Right. That cause, cause like, like we said, without the arm, um, this scene wouldn't have worked that way because it would be like, well, why is imp, not why is imp just able to unable to be completely detectable and just win right away right so right. you could argue that the the, the arm switch was a, a long form setup just to make this particular scene work but i think like i i just don't think that like you could make the argument that 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 event was a contrived situation just to get here because first of all it was set up so so long ago and second of all it just seems like it just seems like like it's just a natural it doesn't things don't feel contrived when they make sense within the moment of the setup and not just as something that's wanting to pay off for later. Yeah. I mean, like specifically there, it's like March knows exactly how much of a threat imp is. And so one of her priorities is going to be to either take her out or reduce her effectiveness. So like it makes sense in that context. It makes sense thematically as like everybody's kind of been uh, hurt Tattletales yeah. hurt, Tattletales on her back foot. You know, the, the whole theme of the story is, is people recovering from, from something like like damaged about them. So it's totally appropriate that, that she would have this. So, so yeah, like I, I, I get what you're saying. There's it, it, it contrivance to me is, is when you're like, when you see a story element and you're like, yep, see why you did that. And uh, that, see, that feels fake. Like that, that, that feels, yeah. That feels like you just did that so that you could do this other thing later. You know, I, like, like, yeah, I do feel like it's generally an overused term in criticism of narrative, like in general, like, we, like because like when you get down to it, everything in a book is contrived. Like right. that's that's what a story is. Um, the, the, the challenge of the writer is to, to hide as much of those contrivances as possible. And I think when I see stuff like this, where where you could even try to make that argument, I, I, I think about it and I'm like, well, no, this successfully dodges that kind of thing because everything is motivated by character. Um, They react to imp in a very logical way. And that leads down the road to a weakness that is exploited by the story to make a hilarious and effective action scene that wouldn't have worked without that thing that was set up, but, but wasn't, wasn't used just solely for that setup. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's good writing. (laughs) It's good writing. Yeah. I I like that. That was, I'm glad you brought that up. That was, that was a fun discussion. Mm -hmm. So now the Ashleys arrive, uh, and Imp still gets the drop on them. 
um, I, I just like this exchange between the characters where uh, uh, Victoria's pointing out that her name is not Glory, Glory Girl anymore. Mm-hmm. Imp says, I don't care. People change names too often. It's better to have one good one that you stick to. Imp was taken, you know, I told her. I don't care. You don't really have it. I don't care. It's <laughs> just like. Uh, it's great. Just, yeah. It's great. It because, says so like, much about these two people. Right. Well, and it does. I mean, it's it's like it's such a cape nerd thing for Victoria to say. Like, of course, she knows that. Like, she just has that knowledge in her head. No, actually, there's another cape named Imp and you took it and you weren't allowed to because Victoria's talked about that before, about like the, the complexity of coming up with names that aren't taken and how that's something that to her actually really matters. Of course, Imp doesn't care at all. And in retrospect, of course, a, a name like Imp is already taken, right? Like, yeah. like, like in, in the world of like, I think of coming up with names for characters and MMOs that haven't been taken before and something like a three letter word like Imp, of course, that's going to be immediately <laughs> taken by someone because it's simple and effective and descriptive. Like, of course, someone else came up with that long before Aisha did. Yeah. But yeah, she doesn't give a shit. Right. That's that's whole, her whole character. She wouldn't care about that. Yeah. And especially now, like it seems, it seems like her concerns are so much more like immediate than like who, who like I don't I don't know Victoria in Victoria's world she has to care about PR right. It, Imp has been in this undersider world for several years of, of like like fighting every day right. for for survival basically. Yeah, I mean like it, it it's especially ironic in this like it. I, I don't think this matters at all in the world <laughs> that these characters live in anymore. Like the idea that like you have to pick a unique name. Like, I just don't think it, it matters. And I, it's, it's quite adorable that, that Victoria still holds up that, that part of the system is something that remains important to her. Yeah, I agree. So now Victoria flies, at, uh, Aisha down to gr- ground level out the window and then hands over her computer and men- and, uh, uh, and then Aisha mentions that she dated a, a hero. Raise anchor, hoist the mainsail. Release your ships, everyone. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. That's that's y'all's. Go for it. Do it. Yeah. I won't stop you. Yeah. Yeah. One one uh, change we're not going to be making in 2019 is introducing any kind of shipping section. <laughs> Look, just to be clear, I, it, it's I think back in the day of uh, a long, long time ago in, in 2017, um, I was probably overly harsh about this whole shipping thing. Um, I don't care. Like, just do it. I just don't want to. Like, I would never tell someone yeah. that they're like weird or wrong for doing it. Right. Um, and I think I've I've warmed up to it as like an activity that's very important for a lot of people. And I would never want to tell them that that's wrong. Um, but I just it's just not something I'm interested in doing. Well, so. well what's what's fun here is that Wildbo has created a kind of a kind of fiendish trap because <laughs> because now there is a there is a textual ship that exists yep but we don't know what it is so it's like a so it's like a ghost ship it's like a ghost ship exactly and you have to wonder about it yeah you got to find that ghost ship yeah i mean we all we all want to know <laughs> right I mean, here, like, honestly, I do kind of want to know. I'm just not going to, like, sit here and spend hours speculating on it. I, I assume I, know, it, I assume that it, the book's going to tell us eventually. Well, or maybe either the book's either, either the book's going to tell us or Wildbo has made sure to not give enough information for us to figure it out because that's the point. Mm-hmm. But either way, 
we're either going to find out or we're never going to find out. And that's the point. Yeah. So as you say, no point discussing it. But mm-hmm. I'm still going to discuss it. Anyway. Uh, this imp- this is ahead. this is, though, Matt, the first time that Victoria specifically states it, during this conversation, give Kenzie her feathers back. And you're just like fist pump, like, fuck, yeah, yeah give give her the feathers. Those are important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, Victoria's working on that ship too. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, then Imp fails to fire her flare gun at the target once, forcing her to have to reset Victoria's memory. Uh, <laughs> and then thus proceeds a delightful series of attempts by a half of breakthrough to play tag with an opponent who they keep forgetting exists. Uh, th- there's the one visual image of damsel and swan song barreling out of the darkness on their annihilation blast is very cool. And then of course the fight ends with Kenzie adorably stepping out in her puffy winter coat and blinding Aisha and everyone else. Yeah. I, I love everything about this. Like it's classic imp silliness, like, like, and I will fire this for the very first time <laughs> and it will work. <laughs> It's yeah. like, like, I think it's cool because we haven't necessarily seen it from this angle before. Like we've seen we've seen Imp from her point of view. We've seen her from the point of view of an ally, um, but we've never seen her from the point of view of people who are trying to not be defeated by her. And I just I really like it. Um, yeah. We also get a moment of, of Victoria's really, really ramped up aura that we talked about before because she's like kind of like trying to boil the frog with her aura on Aisha. Yeah. And we get that wonderful moment with damsel. It's, it's like, how you, how you yeah. feeling on this one? It's, it's yeah, fine. It's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. Uh, and even Kenzie gets a, a quip at the end where she like, it's kind of a disturbing quip. Cause she says, there's nothing left in me, but tinkering things. And you're like, Oh, Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a pretty badass moment for Kenzie. Honestly, it's, it's yeah. one of those like backhandedly badass moments where, she one ups like the two prowling, evil looking, you know, uh, ex villainesses by just <laughs> stepping out with her coat on. Yeah, and, and her little gun. Her. Yeah, yeah, it's, right. it's really her, great. Her, her gun looks like a toy. Yeah, I believe the text says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we get a double section break, which I suppose is indicating that this is not just another imp lacuna. Uh, and almost all of the undersiders are now meeting again with almost all of breakthrough, or I think all of breakthrough. Tattletale and Victoria now spar face-to-face over returning the mislaid data, but Breakthrough is pushing back pretty hard. Before we go on, can I just um, highlight your use of the word lacuna and yes. how much I love it? Just, yes, you may. You, you could pat on the back, Matt. Good well, vocabulary. Thank well, thank you. Thank you. You may continue. Okay. Uh, so I'm just going to pull this out, this, this exchange. Uh, and if you refuse to cooperate with us and play ball, then we, then we let your intel leak including that information about sources and your allies become your enemies. You're really, you're really willing to play hardball. Tattletail asked, give kids your feathers back. Let the kids talk. You realize what a monster she is. Don't you? I glanced back at Kinsey. Nothing resembling a monster. And I'm an expert. And then, uh, Tattletail says, I don't know why I didn't copy. Uh, but Tattletail follows up saying, right. Because you spent two years as one. And the reason I pulled this out is because Victoria doesn't even react to this this jab. Yeah, which like is great. Maybe she's like yeah. gotten Tattletail's deal now and is just like, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's 
I mean, first of all, just like like publicly declaring I'm an expert of monsters because I I was one for two years is a thing that she's acknowledging in public, which is like a a thing like Victoria kind of strays away from acknowledging that time in her life, especially to other people. Um, So being willing to do that there and then and then not being affected by Tattletail's frankly awful comeback, which is just cruel. Like she could be such a jerk sometimes. She really can. Well, that's what's funny is Victoria's like owning it and, and, and Tattletale's comeback is, is like a pretty lame comeback by Tattletale yeah. standards because yeah. it's like it, like Victoria could, could very well just have been like, yeah, that was the joke. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yep. <laughs> and I think it's because she knows she has the upper hand here, right? Like she, yeah. she, I think she feels like she's got like, I think she's finally recognizing that Tattletale is desperate and against the wall, like to send Imp out here and do this when imp is not even at full strength, just like it is desperation. Like they, these files have leaked there. She's going to get in trouble. She's already in a bad situation. And now, you know, chicken little <laughs> inadvertently just made it way worse for them. And it's like, go imp, you have to go burn this stuff. Now we have to do this right now or we're screwed. Um, she knows she's kind of got, got the head up on her. So like her, her, her fuck with you tactics aren't as effective when you know, you're, you, you've got the upper hand in this argument. Yeah, she's kind of flailing. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what what do we make of all this, though? So Chicken Little steals this info in an effort to get the two sides to come together. That's his goal. He wants them to cooperate. Um, the Undersider's response is very on, on brand for a team that was formerly headed up by Taylor, which is just burn everything down immediately. Um, breakthrough, <laughs> realizing they've got Tattletail over a barrel, basically force her and her team to work with them. And so the end result is they end up working together. So mission accomplished. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess. Well, I mean, I, I, I think, I think the, the biggest indication that this is kind of to be considered mission accomplished is when, uh, 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 chicken little gives the tiny little thumbs up to, uh, <laughs> to Kenzie and Kenzie right. gives a tiny little nod. Uh, and then Tattletail gives a huge sigh, <laughs> uh, which is almost her sigh of like, fine yeah, right you right. win yeah. yeah it's like realizing that like this was not like i don't think this was chicken little's plans like and then and then they're gonna overreact and force them to meet together and then like i don't think that was like i don't think he's that no. good of a planner but it it, it it got him where he wanted them to go and yeah it's it, it is it's really wonderful um i mean i think it's like it's a big deal for victoria to say that like I want to work with and not work with you, but like I'm willing to share my information with you. Yeah. It is a, a big move for her. I think, I think like there's, there's a desperation on Victoria's side too. And we've been talking about that all episode that like, she's frustrated by the way things are going. She's frustrated by all these situations. She almost just lost everything that she had. All this data was almost lost. And so she's much more willing to work with someone like she just still doesn't like Tattletail. She still probably hates Tattletail a lot, but she recognizes the value she can be. Um, and vice versa because Victoria, Victoria has her files are more complete than Tattletail's. Right. Is that a, isn't that a great moment where Tattletail like respects Victoria's file collection ability? Yeah. And, and, and then, and then like, now this is like, we as the reader are like, you know what the best thing for Tattletale is? Is up-to-date, correct information. Right. And and so, like, this is a partnership made in heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's fun. It's yeah. very, very fun. Yeah. Uh, so, yep, Victoria hands over the files, her own files. Tattletale realizes that they're up-to-date. 
Uh, the two team leaders agree that they will let the kids talk to a limited degree and that the two teams will share information. The, the two kids share a furtive sign of triumph, which we talked about. Uh, and then Tattletale makes a point that uh, one of Victoria's assumptions is off, that it's not teacher, but some other party pulling the strings of these mercenaries. And those people are interested in apparently time loops, stasis, and other fuckery. Yeah, we get a, a pretty big hint that uh, the the time loop and the stasis they're particularly worried about is very close to home, Brockton Bay related. Um, this could be Dauntless, Matt. It, I mean, there there could be some other people, but Dauntless has been this thing that we've set up. We've reminded people about in the story already. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's where we were heading with this. Um, but yeah, so it's not teacher. Like, in fact, teacher was so worried about the direction they were going with this that he was like nah i don't fuck with that <laughs> which is yeah. kind of kind of worrying in its own right where like that's the line where teacher said no i'm not gonna cross that this guy yeah. um right so. the guy who at the end of the last story was like maybe we could rebuild an entity yeah <laughs> yeah yeah oh boy yep so we're we're putting the i don't know i don't want to say in game because who knows but what we're we're beginning to kind of i think reveal the cards that are going to be played in the latter parts of the story. Is, you think that's fair to say? I think, I think that's fair to say. I mean, I think like, I, I don't know. I, I'm making an assumption that they're referring to Dauntless. I don't actually know about that, but, um, learning how to manipulate the stasis things could, could be very problematic going into the future. So yeah, I mean, this is going to be a plot element that carries us much further through the story. Um, and, and the thing that is great about it was once again, it's, it's something that's been there all along. We've been dealing with the, the conflict with earth sea since the very, very beginning of the book. It's just, it, this is a, this is a wrinkle in that conflict that we haven't seen before. Yeah. And I feel like there are going to be some essays written about the thematic implications in this story of time loops and, and, or stasis, whatever it ends up being the concept of, of stasis staying the same. Yeah, You know, not recovering, not progressing, time loops, repeating the same thing, repeating the same trauma over and over in a gray boy loop, never being given the opportunity to recover. Relevant to the themes, I would say. Hey, Matt, I think uh, I think you are correct. I think that's very astute of you. Well, thank you. Uh, all right, Scott, that was our three chapters for this uh, period of time. Hey, that wasn't have... too long. No, it was... Fair, a it's, fair amount of time. Still, still pretty long. And we're going to save ourselves a little bit of time and the fact that we haven't figured out what we're going to be doing with discussion questions and we're just not going to have one today. So instead of that, just talk about, you know, Ward. <laughs> talk about um, Chris. And yeah, talk uh, as Sveta. Um, How do you uh, think you know, Victoria did with the Chris reveal yeah there you go how'd she How handle you, that do you think she did a good job yeah be sure be sure to be fair to her all right <laughs> that's all we got for you this week on we've got ward you guys are all part of this show so feel pre free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading you can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our twitter account at Godwormpod. My personal Twitter is at ScottDaily85, and Matt's is actually, weirdly enough, uh, at uh, HarryManArm. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep, always has been. Yeah. And if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, Harry Arm, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. <laughs> and as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at our website, www.doofmedia.com. We're back this week. We have all of our shows. Um, we got Book Club on Friday. We got Doofcast Friday morning. We got Vow to View. Everything's back. It's a new year. And we're, we're back in business. Yep. Um, and if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating uh, to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and costume contests, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. Special thanks to new Bidoof's Protean and Michael H. at the $1 level, and Andrew O. at the $5 level, and new Doof Troop member, Ruben M. at the $10 level. Thanks so much, everyone. Yeah, thank you, guys. We appreciate it. Even, you know, we we took a week off, and some of you still decided to donate to us over that week, and, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And as always, of course, make sure you head over to Wildbo's Patreon page, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. And if you can't afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving one of those sweet, sweet five-star reviews. Um, none to read this week because, you know, you might get new uh, patrons over a time where you take off. But if you don't do a podcast, you're probably not going to get new reviews. So none to read this week, but uh, keep them coming. We really, really do appreciate them. Yeah, definitely. That's all for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with... Three new chapters, including Saturday's side piece interlude uh, that we haven't talked about yet. Man, I love side piece so much. I can't wait to talk about the interlude. I'm so excited. Me too. Yes. Feel better. Well, thank you. A little, little nosy nose. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> You're totally healthy. I'm, uh, uh, huh? What? You did All it, right. though. We did it. Did. I'm going to click the button.